0: The Prestige TV podcast covered 1923 this week with Mallory Rubin and Ben Lindbergh. And on Sunday, after The Last of Us airs on HBO, Van Lathan and Charles Holmes are going to have an instant reaction to that show, which is supposed to be fantastic. It's all happening on the Prestige TV podcast. You should follow it. You should subscribe to it. Listen, this episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is gonna be, man, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just where you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? Little doubleheader, little NBA doubleheader. Right first half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time. That's usually about five o'clock, five thirty. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at miclobe slash courtside LDA twenty one and up. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. Put up a new rewatchables on Monday night. We did Sideways. I also went on Off the Pike with Brian Barrett with my friend Kevin Hench. And we complained about the Red Sox and the Patriots for 55 solid minutes. And it was really fun uh, and laughed a, a few times. So good times all around. Coming up on this podcast, no Peter Schrager this week, but we do have Ara Hawani who talked to us about the Buffalo Bills and everything that's happened to them in the last year, and the last month. And we talked, obviously, WWE and UFC as well. Big stories happening in both of those places. After that, Benjamin Solak came on to talk about four games that I don't love except for Chargers, Jags, and then the other three, what the hell do we do with them? Uh, And the big matchups on that. And then last but not least, the two games that I do love, Vikes, Giants, Bucks, Cowboys, Danny Heifetz, and Raheem Palmer joined me. And we broke all of it down with our NFC East expertise and their gambling expertise. And then last but not least, Million Dollar Picks. Round one, the quest to go 11-0, and although in this case, it's, it's 13-0 and since they added two extra games. Um, the quest continues. Someday. Someday I'll go undefeated with the playoff picks. Probably not this year. Round one's really hard. We're going to get to it next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, taping this early Thursday afternoon. I plan to have this guy on for a while because the Bills are involved his favorite team. We had basically the R.L. Hawani vortex happened over the last two weeks with major, major stories about the Bills, UFC, and the WWE. Like three separate things that you could have come on on and you were it's probably going to come on anyway. So now we're here. Let's We'll start with the Bills because that happened. Uh, the Monday Night Football game happened about an hour after the Dana White story came out and then all of a sudden, it got completely blown out of the water by Damar Hamlin and you know, getting resuscitated basically on the field, and then that dominated everything. Um, you're a diehard Bills fan. Walk us through the last couple of weeks just from the Bills family, Bills fan sense.
1: Oh man, and, and by the way, first of all, thank you for having me back on, I appreciate it. Uh, I actually thought that they released, the only link between the two stories, Dana and the Bills game against the Bengals, I thought they released it around the start of the game to try to bury it. Um, no question. That was that was just kind of my gut feeling, but that's where the connection ends. I have said this before to other people. I am not necessarily a football fan in the sense that if the, uh, the Jaguars are playing the Titans, I'm sitting there and watching the whole thing, like you, like so many others, right? I am not a, a casual, I don't do fantasy, all that stuff, but I am a diehard Bills fan, right? So... I don't know who the equivalent of DeMar Hamlin is for the Seahawks or Cowboys. I know who DeMar Hamlin is. I know him very well. I know he's a second-year guy. I know he replaced Micah Hyde. I know he's got the dress. I know he's number three. Like, I know him very well. I know about Jordan Poyer and, and Tredavious White. So when that happened, I felt a very personal connection to it because I know this guy, not personally, but I follow yeah. the team very closely. It's the only team that I watch consistently from start to finish, don't bother me for three hours when they're playing. Um, so just seeing that and seeing him collapse and watching it with my two boys, 10 and eight, and then telling them to go to bed because it was starting to get more and more serious was a really heavy thing to watch. I remember Reggie Lewis. That's what it reminded me of. Um, that was the closest thing that I remember back in 1992, I believe it was. And this was my guy. And then to see guys who I admire greatly, don't know personally, but Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Sean McDermott, all in the state that they were in. It was heavy, man. I, I won't lie. I started to cry. I, tears were coming down because like, it seemed like we were headed towards a really, really bad place. Uh, I love this team dearly. And I also feel a great kinship to the city of Buffalo and to Western New York because of the fact that I've been a fan for so long. But I got to go to my first game recently and they treated us so well. And they're just salt of the earth people. And to go through the list Bill, of the things that this team and community has had to endure over the past year. Less than a year. I mean, not all these things are equal, but let's just think about this for a second. And I'm doing this off the top of my head. 13 seconds, right? The supermarket tragedy. Obviously, those two things are not equal, but this is just the stuff that this team has had to endure, right? 13 seconds, devastating. This, even more, not even close. Uh, Terry Pagula's wife, Kim Pagula, uh, has her own health issues, which they've never really sort of revealed, but she took a leap of absence on her own health issues. Dawson Knox's younger brother, tight end, tragically just passes away out of the blue. Uh, I, again, I'm not comparing, but Von Miller's yeah, injury, yeah. Micah Hyde's injury, you know, like a lot of stuff. We had the, bl- his- the very serious blizzard. Yes, two historic blizzards, 40 or so people died after the second one. Like they have had to endure a lot. And now this, so it's just been a lot. And I said this to actually someone who uh, works for the Bills, a woman named Kelsey Sweet who works in PR, who, excuse me, in social media, who I've become friends with. And I said, my whole life, I just wanted to see the Bills win so I can know how it feels. I've never seen my team win a championship. I just wanted to see my team hold that trophy at the end of the season. For the first time in my life, I can confidently say, I want the Bills to win for Western New York, for Buffalo, for those people. I want them to have it because I really do feel like they deserve it. So I'm so happy DeMar's back. I was freaking out. I'm sorry, you know, Patriots, second year in a row, we send you home, yeah, no yeah. big deal. Like we, we don't have to it. harp on that. But uh, I mean, that kickoff return, I, I was freaking going nuts. I, I, I didn't know what to do with myself the first one. It was I an am
0: amazing high. moment. It really was. It sounded like Romo got choked up. Even and, and, and announcing too, it. Right? Yeah, and it, in a weird way, I, I think it worked against the Bills because it was so emotional. They kinda let down for the rest of the first half and all of a sudden in halftime I felt like, Oh my god, the Pats are still hanging around. The Bills I mean, if Hamlin's there, and we don't know if he's gonna be there this weekend. We know he's out of the hospital. Right. He's he seems I, I think compared to where we were less than two weeks ago, crazy, he seems right? In, in pretty good shape. And I do think there's a chance he he one of the next two he'll be there. Oh my god. But if he's there this week, I don't. I don't even know how to process without means to the game. I, I don't think we've seen emotion like that in a game, other than like of more national events, not not player events like that. So I don't know. I'm getting it's, chills
1: just listening to you talk about it, even if he shows up on the screen, right? Like even a video message telling the guys like, "Let's go." I mean, getting Micah Hyde back is huge. Him showing yeah. up yesterday, uh, that's a huge. He's like kind of the, uh, I guess. Unofficial captain of of the defense, him and Poyer, maybe Tre'Davious White as well. But you got to admit, I, I know you know Patriots Bills. If you're just a casual NFL fan right now, how do you root against the Buffalo Bills? Like everyone wants them to win. Am I, I wrong? About that, that last I week with the
0: Pat's Bills game, because you know, in, in some ways, it was better for the Pat's to lose than to go into the playoffs and get you know, crushed and now they're the 14th pick. Now it's going to cause them to do all these coach changes. It was like, that was actually a better way for this to end. But yeah, I think it's going to be, I've been thinking about the playoffs big picture and I'm a big narrative guy and we've seen it happen over and over again in football and it's hard not to think, like everything you even laid out to the last year, like we've just seen this in sports where a team that has to overcome adversity, a team that has somebody to play for, something to play for that's beyond just, the sports stuff—it does seem like it factors in. I—I I when I did my gambling manifesto, I added the 2009 Cardinals or 2008 Cardinals when uh, when Kurt Warner um, when he got it was it was some sort of God puppy scenario where his he promised his kids he would get a puppy if mm-hmm. if if they made the Super Bowl and then uh, so I was like never bet against puppies and God and Kurt Warner. You just never know with some of these some of these runs, and I just feel like with Buffalo. There's a lot of stuff stacked up for them. The thing I would worry about is the defense. I thought the Patriots could move the ball on them that whole game. And the Pats offense has been bad this year. And it does feel like the right kind of team could go in there and kind of control the game, keep Buffalo off the field. But now that Micah Hyde's coming back, you know, huge. maybe we'll see this go up. But I, I don't think the defense has been the same since Von Miller left. It's a, I test-wise, it just hasn't.
1: No, 100%. Uh, the run D has always been an issue. And, and, and Vaughn just, I mean, just his presence and his leadership, but then obviously his skills, he was having a great year. Um, He's worth every penny that they paid him. Still having Hyde come back, Hyde and Poirier together. I mean, that interception against New England last year in the end zone, one of the all-time great plays that I've ever seen anyone pull off on defense. What do you think about the way this is all playing out in terms of Bengals fans belly aching that they got the raw end of the deal? I actually don't think like we, we could complain too. We have the same amount of losses as the Chiefs and we won the head to head and we're not getting a buy. You know, like we could complain as well. I actually feel like the NFL got this one right. Am I crazy about that? I would have just voided the game. And had everybody have one less win
0: slash loss. I thought you guys were going to lose that game, though.
1: There's a chance, that, and that then we would have fallen out I the third. I thought the Bengals, yeah.
0: I just felt like they. you could see it in the first quarter. They were super confident. They were moving the ball, and I just think you would have trouble stopping them. But I thought it made more sense to avoid the game and probably just have it work out the way it would have worked out anyway, where Cincinnati would have been the three seed. Um, but, you know, Cincinnati now, the right side of their offensive line is gone. And I think people are just penciling them in We tweak. We're going to talk about it later with Million Dollar Picks. I, I have some concerns about Cincinnati now. Oh. That was the team I like probably the most in the AFC. And then KC, same thing, where KC just lets these teams hang around, hang around, hang around. And, you know, it, it just feels like the AFC, the NFC we know is wide open. The AFC, it might just come down to which one of the four quarterbacks is awesome. And I include Herbert in that too. It's your four guys that could just get hot for three rounds. You know, Allen's probably the safest bet because of the team he has. Mahomes, I still want to see it happen. Like, what do you really trust these dudes like Schuster and and some of these guys other than Kelsey that really haven't been in these big moments with him and these, you know, this running back carousel that he has. Buffalo, they've, they've had the reps, right? This has been three years coming. They're good. They're going to have at least two home games, it looks like. And they have a great player. What What do you feel like about Josh's, uh, his accuracy and everything since the elbow injury? How's that look? Like 85%? Mm,
1: there's been some 80? alarming. There's Yeah, maybe closer to that. There's been some alarming moments. The red zone interceptions. The last one at the end of the half against you guys really upset me. I had to go take a walk because I was really yeah. feeling uneasy about everything. Um, he's had some weird, like against Chicago, there were some really weird ones as well. Uh, so I don't know if he's a hundred percent and maybe body language seems
0: a little off too. He doesn't seem like that kind of superhero kind of swagger to him. He he seems like, I I don't know. How do I just, I test wise doesn't seem the same to me, but then he'll wing a throw 60 yards. You're like, Oh, he's fine.
1: Second half, yeah, I mean, the John Brown yeah. catch, the Stephon Diggs catch. Maybe this is a Bryce Harper situation where at the end of the year we find out that maybe it was worse and he was just, you know, gutting through the whole thing. Right. Um, but man, I, 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 having that guy, like, I, I bet on him. And by the way, one of the unspoken stories I feel like nationally is the run game, which was a huge issue, has become a huge deal for us now. All of yeah. a sudden, Devin Singletary, James Cook, they're all stepping up. Hines yeah, they're right. in here there You can they're,
0: protect the lead now and then yes. teams have to at least respect it and then you can go
1: deep. And um, That's a it's huge nice. deal. We didn't have that. Last year, I don't think we had that.
0: Yeah, so neutral site AFC title game. Love it. And it would be in Atlanta.
1: Love it. I was hoping Which, my number one choice was well, first I was hoping for Detroit because they had the two games in Detroit this year, so I felt like there was some familiarity, right? Detroit brought them in, but maybe that was a little too close to home. There was some yeah. talk of Indy um, not bad. Neutral. Atlanta's fine. I'm fine with Atlanta. Maybe that's a little, I don't know about my geography. I'm Canadian, but maybe a little closer. It's fine. I just didn't want to go back to Kansas city. I mean, it's been yeah. a house of horrors. The last two playoffs we've won their regular season. And again, next year we have to go back there. I don't know why we have to go back to Kansas city every freaking year. It's a weird thing in the schedule, but, uh, I'm happy it's neutral. And I don't want to get to Like, I think you're sometimes used to cocky bills fan coming on here with my, I got nothing. I am yeah. I'm humble and hungry, as Sean McDermott likes to say. I just want this so bad. I don't, I've never wanted anything more as a fan in my life. And I want it for the people of Buffalo, most importantly. But I, Bill, I just want to know what it feels once. I want to know what it feels once to see my team win the championship. And I don't know if I've ever been closer. The last time I was this close was probably 94 Knicks Rockets. And I was wondering, because you know about this stuff very well. Yeah. Has there ever been a situation where it feels like everyone other than the team they're playing? Because obviously, like, everyone in Miami wants them to win. But has there ever been a situation that you can recall where the whole country or the whole sporting world is rooting for this team that they have no ties to? Because it feels like anyone who's neutral is just going to default to the Bills because of everything they've been through. Is is Yankees in 01 a fair comparison? No, I, I
0: think Cubs 2016, I think um I think they had a lot of people behind them just because okay. of of the hundred years. You know, it's it seems crazy to think this now. But it really was the case. Patriots Rams two thousand one. When the Rams had already won one, mm. they were pretty cocky. They were the unbeatable, you know, fourteen point favorite. It was after nine eleven. Was this underdog scrappy Patriots team that had the name Patriots in there? You had you two at halftime playing Beautiful Day and doing the nine eleven um yeah. honor thing. And and I do feel like everybody was behind the pats, which is hilarious because six years later. Right or five years later, to, or six years later, it had completely turned. So it's happened a couple of times, but yeah, in this Sox case. Socks in 04? Socks in 04, yeah. They, they were still like some Boston fan animosity, but yeah, there was probably a big piece of that. Um, I think John Elway in 97, a lot of people were rooting for him. Green Bay just won. People really liked John Elway. So there's been some instances. Oh, New Orleans in 09 was a good one.
1: Yeah. The Colts oh. had already won. Yeah. It was four years after Katrina. So that one that one feels close, but I don't know if it's uh if there's ever been a situation where it's like everyone just wants the city to finally get one. Like Buffalo is a city as yeah. a sports town. Well and
0: then the Hamlin piece, I think. Yeah. I've never seen um a longer, a kind of more substantial concern and outpouring from just casual fans. Like even like anecdotally, just people in my life. It was all anyone talked about for three right. days. And we've seen some horrible things in football, but for some reason that one seemed to resonate the worst. And I think it was the players' reactions on the field really, really hammered it home where you're just like, oh my God, because we've seen some bad stuff even this year too uh. Right. with that second concussion yeah. where it's like, this guy just basically seemed like he got knocked out four days ago. He got knocked out again. So we're we're kind of conditioned to be used to it, but something was different for obvious Maybe reasons. because it was Plus, the only
1: game going on at the time as opposed yeah, to Yeah, it was one a huge the, game yeah, and everybody yeah. was
0: excited, unexpected. Also like, you know, I, I don't think they're ever going to really tell us what happened, but it really does seem like he died.
1: Oh, yeah. On the yeah. field.
0: Like, I don't, I don't think they'll ever maybe phrase it that way, but right. I think that's why they were reacting that way, because it was like watching a movie where the guy's dead and they can't revive him, and then they miraculously are able to get him going again. But Gosh. I mean, holy shit, that 10 minutes. Well, I feel like we're going to find out more down the road, but not anytime soon, of what actually happened in those nine minutes, because- the medical staff hasn't really talked about it, and it really seems even more harrowing than maybe we even knew about. But, yeah, all right, we're going to take a break, and then uh, I'll let you pick. We'll do coin flip between WWE and UFC. Well, the NFL Wild Card Weekend is here. Get into the playoffs. Get in right now with FanDuel America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers, if you join, you get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up with promo code BS. Fando has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. We're covering all of them in million dollar picks and you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay All on an app that's safe and secure and super easy to use. And Fando live in Ohio right now so you can make sure you can get on all the action with great offers just for you now and throughout January. You can even bet on the Ohio team that's still in the playoffs. Football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose with promo code BS. Make every moment more with FanDuel official sportsbook partner at the NFL. You must be 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager. Only $10 first deposit required. Bonus issue does not withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. All right, you pick. WWE or UFC, where do you want to go? UFC. Okay. So Dana White has the press conference yesterday. We don't hear from him for nine days. TMZ video emerges of his wife hits him, hits her back a couple times, they have to be separated. And I honestly think if that Monday Night Football thing doesn't happen, it's the biggest story of the whole week and maybe at least him resigning, I don't know. Um, They said nothing, they did nothing. Kept waiting for him to say anything. Then he finally gave a press conference yesterday where he basically just fell on the sword. It's like, I'm gonna have to live with this the rest of the life, nobody hates myself more than me. And says all this stuff, but he's back doesn't seem like he's going to get suspended or he's going to take a break or, you know, go to rehab, any of this stuff that people normally do. And and it's UFC. And I think the attitude seems to be move on, move forward. I know you've talked about this on ringer MMA show and your show, like, but for my audience, like, yeah, are you shocked that this is how it played out nine days later?
1: Absolutely not. Um, unfortunately, I'm not. I'm not shocked that a lot of the fans are defending him. I'm not shocked that a lot of fighters are tripping over themselves to defend him and to say, whoa, 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 you know, she hit him first and all this stuff. Embarrassing behavior from a lot of people uh, to the point where he at the press conference on Wednesday had to tell them, the fighters, like, stop right, defending don't defend me. me. Yeah. yeah. How crazy is that? Stop. I will say this about Dana. Like, obviously, he was working in conjunction with TMZ. Uh it's very rare that a video like that comes out and then there's an interview right below it and you know he's 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 able to apologize and so the narrative could be Dana White apologizes as opposed to Dana White did this. He's very cozy with TMZ. I thought the questions that he was asked in that TMZ clip were downright embarrassing and that's being kind. But you know he owned up to it and didn't take the bait, right? They were trying to offer him bait, alcohol, what do you remember, blah blah blah. He didn't take it. And even yesterday at the press conference, he did he did the thing that people could then say after watching it like, you know what? I respect this guy. He's facing the music. But guess what? He's playing all of you like puppets. Because number one, as I've said time and again, uh, we weren't waiting for Dana White to speak on this. We wanted to know what Endeavor, the parent company of the UFC, thought about this. We wanted to know what Ari Emanuel, his boss essentially, who owns along with Patrick Whitesell, Endeavor, what they think of this, right? And also what his
0: fan thought of it
1: what ESPN thought of it, and, and we know. It's it's relatively crickets, a uh, couple reports here and there. We want to know what happens the next time a fighter does something like this, a UFC employee does something like this, is it just going to go unchecked now? Because you've done nothing to this guy. You haven't even put out a statement. You haven't even put out a statement condemning it. You haven't even said X, Y, or Z, nothing. It was crickets. So he comes out with his statement, then there's nothing, and then yesterday he shows up. and And the part about yesterday that got me so frustrated was, We are not looking to Dana White to punish himself. That's not how this works. That's not how life works, right? He's telling us my punishment. What do you want? What do you want more than me feeling bad about what I did? I have to look at myself in the mirror. People don't respect me anymore. That's not how life works. That's a consequence to what you did. We are looking for what the punishment is going to be, if any punishment, right? And usually that punishment, if I do something bad, if you do something bad, I can assure you, if that was me. I'm probably not working for the ringer anymore, right? The next day, everyone's severing ties with me. So there's a, there's always going to be some kind of accountability, some kind of action that happens as a result of your actions. He's telling us, I've got to live with this. What's worse than that? No, you've got to live with it. Like if I got fired, I would have to live with that. There's shame, embarrassment involved, but there's also getting fired. There's also a punishment. And so he's saying, there's nothing bigger than that. Well, I would disagree because now you're telling your, staff and you're telling your fighters that nothing is going to happen, that you're just going to have to live with it. Well, excuse me. In the past, people have had domestic violence situations in the UFC and they have gotten cut. And, and a guy named Paul Daly once hit a fighter after the bell and he got cut and banned for life. He could have lived with the shame of that, too. But no, you banned him. There's punishments involved with actions. And so I think that was very weird. Also, him saying, if I leave, this whole ship is going to sink. That's not true. I could tell you this as someone who knows how the company is run intimately. He's not signing the fighters. He's not making the fights. His role in the company isn't what it once was because the whole thing is running itself. And he's got people involved, in particular, a guy named Hunter Campbell, who I could compare him to like a director of basketball operations or a GM. He's the guy doing the hiring and firing. And then he's got matchmakers. So this notion that he would go away for 30 days and the whole thing would sink is absolutely wrong. It's not it's not accurate at all. He wants you to think that. He wants you to think that the whole thing would disappear. It wouldn't. And, and it's, just, it's just crazy to me that people are still defending him and still saying like, look, he's owning up to it. Yeah, he's owning up to it, but there's nothing that's happening as a result. And still, Endeavor's not saying anything. Endeavor's not saying anything whatsoever. No comment. Ari Emanuel has been very vocal about Kanye West, about Saudi Arabia, about a whole host of things. And he won't say anything about the face of his fighting organization doing something like this on camera. Blows my mind.
0: And then this week they announced the, did the slap league launch <laughs> on TBS? It did, right? And he was the so, face so of that. So he, he was- The he most was,
1: bizarre thing I mean, in a while. He was asked about it, but interrupted the question asked there. So we didn't really get a sense for like, what is the future of this thing? It was supposed to debut on TBS on January 11th. So last night, they pushed it back a they week. They pushed it. Now the ads- don't have his name attached to it anymore, but he's still promoting it. He's (laughs) still promoting it um, on his Twitter and whatnot. And he talks about, as you said, like he's, he's embarrassed. He's, he's, you know, he feels bad, shame, all that stuff. But I'm questioning that as well. Two days after the incident on his Instagram, he's posting with one of the Nelk boys and a stack of cash saying, I had a great night at the casino. Does that feel like someone who is embarrassed or feeling shame? He, he does this thing called Eff it Friday, where he like, Cooks up crazy things and he eats it on his social media. He did one this past Friday, a bologna pie. Does that feel like you are feeling some kind of shame, embarrassment? It all feels very flat and very tone deaf to me. Um, and I don't know in what other world do we look to the guy who, for lack of a better word, committed the crime to punish himself. That's what they were saying on first take. Like, you know, he should give himself the same punishment or worse than what he would give to a fighter. No, that's not how it works. Yeah, he doesn't own people. the UFC. Yes. Someone else punishes you. That's how this works. And what's going to happen the next time a fighter does something? Are you going to ask them to police themselves? Because then there's going to be, you know, mutiny. Uh, so they have really... There, there's yeah, but there's, you know, the,
0: the sinister side of this is, and I think UFC and boxing, I'm going to lump them together for a lot of different reasons. But they seem to be the two sports where the general public kind of expects... Nailed it. ...behavior. You like this, and I remember, I remember when I was a kid, there was this middleweight who was awesome, Tony Ayala Junior, who just he was like a wrecking machine. He knocked out everybody, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, he raped somebody. He's done. He's going to go to jail for forty years. It was like, oh, I guess we lost time. Like you didn't even bat an eyelash. I was a kid. Right. There was so much, there was so much crime and violence and everything in boxing. You just kind of assumed bad stuff would happen, and you kind of thought the worst of people. And I think UFC has been at least a little bit privy to that too. Maybe not as bad as some of the boxing stuff. Boxing also been around a lot longer, but you know, UFC's had some dark moments. And I also, th- I also wonder like how big is the UFC fan base actually, right? If this is football, you're, you're moving in 25, 30 million people that are at least like casual might know what's going on on a Sunday football fans. And UFC is like, what, a million, 1.5 million, 2 million kind of diehard fans. Right. And it's its its own little bubble. So when something happens in a mainstream way, is it really mainstream or is it just stay in that bubble? And that's no. like, I thought the Dana story was going to be much, you know, kind of much bigger. And I thought it was going to be resolved way quicker. I never expected it to just limp along with no resolution.
1: Oh, this is not a surprise because to yeah, your point. Yeah, and you're point, not surprised. No, to your point, I mean, we want to make the comparison to boxing. Gervonta Davis fought this past weekend. Ten days prior to his fight, he was in jail for a domestic violence situation. I have always said this. I view MMA um, like you view the NFL, the NBA, like credible journalists view the sports that they cover on a day-to-day basis. And I want it to be treated as such. But I have always said MMA is, and even more so than boxing, it's sort of like the vice of the sports world. Like, you know, guys and gals like to go to Vegas and get the free tickets and they like to get their wings and their beer and do their little, you know, betting and, and, and their fantasy and all that stuff. But then comes Sunday and Monday, like we're talking about the real stuff. Like a, a, a UFC is, you know, you go to Mohegan Sun, you have a great time, but then you get to your real life afterwards. You go to T-Mobile, you have a great time and then you get to the real stuff. And so it's almost like this self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, of course. It's a little bit dirty. Of course, it's scummy. Of course, it's all this stuff. And I don't think that MMA on the whole, even stuff that's happened with the likes of Conor McGregor and John Jones, if the same stuff was happening to the stars of the NFL, it would be completely um, covered differently. But you see now, look at the way people covered Kyrie Irving and look at the way they covered Dana White. Just for example, the two big controversies, if you will, of the last couple months. Way more basketball fans.
0: Well, think about Stephen Bonner.
1: Oh, my gosh. That, like that was even, one of
0: the worst stories of the year, and I don't even think didn't people didn't even get a mention. Barely noticed it. This guy fought like one of the legendary fights of the first generation of UFC. Um, was beloved, and then had just an array of problems. Like he was like an E60 segment, and then eventually dies when he's forty-five. Um, kind of comes and goes because people just expect that from the sport and from boxing too.
1: No one bats an eye, and it's a crazy thing because. You know, I I heard um, I heard on ESPN after the Hamlin story happened, after the 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 initial you know uh, collapse on the field, I saw uh, Dominique Foxworth and Mina Kimes talking about this, who I like very much, and 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 Foxworth, who has a history as the head of the NFLPA, was like, you know, these guys get you know they get covered after their playing days are done for five years, and then they kind of have to you know figure it out for themselves. And I do think NFL players deserve more. Guess what? Yep. A- MMA fighters, UFC fighters in particular, don't even get help for five minutes post right. fighting. So Bonner didn't get anything. A guy like Bonner was just left, you know, on the side of the road and was kind of just like crumbling in front of our eyes. And then you see what happens at the end of the year. There's another guy. I don't know if you remember him it might be around the time. Cause I know you went to some of those early day shows, uh, Phil Baroni, the New York. Oh badass. yeah. I remember him. Phil Baroni, right now. And this all happened around the same time as Dana, like literally a day later is in a jail cell in Mexico. I saw that. accused Killed of murdering this. his girlfriend. He's facing 50 to 70 years. And no one's talking about that as well, because we expect this kind of behavior. Here's my unfortunate prediction. As the sport gets older, you're going to see more and more of this stuff because there's no protection for these guys post UFC because of CTE, because they don't get paid. All these dudes who are retiring right. now that we it's grew up. It's like the up, first generation it. of guys. Exactly. That- it's going to be some hard and depressing times. And again, then I go it back. It happened
0: in wrestling. I mean, think about the guys from the 70s and 80s. That was, and then all of a sudden you get to the 2000s and it's a yep. horror show.
1: The first thing I ever did in TV, I was an intern working for HBO Real Sports and it was the story on wrestlers dying under the age of 45. I was there when Vince hit the papers out of Armand Katayn's hand. Yeah. It was a very famous, I was there as an intern. I couldn't believe what I was watching, but you're hundred percent right. It's wrestling all over again. And then I go back to the message that you have now sent to everyone. You have now sent the message to all the fighters around the world that if you do this, it's okay. It's going to go unpunished. And that's the part that I think he is missing and everyone at Endeavor and everyone else is missing. You are now sending the message that this will go unchecked. And I think that's a dangerous message. Of course, the whole thing's not gonna die if you leave for 30 days or 60 days. You can afford to do that because of the empire that you built. Why not just do something to show people that there are consequences, real life consequences to your actions?
0: Well, you brought up something interesting on, uh, on your show last week. Does the sport need him anymore? No. The answer is no. No. I think it really needed him 10 years ago. yeah, And maybe even six years ago. And it 100% needed him 15 years ago. But in 2023, I just don't think we found it out. We're going to talk about Vince McMahon in a second. We found out pretty quickly like oh they don't actually need Vince McMahon anymore this no. is actually running better and way smarter now that he's not here and with dana dana had way less of a financial stake in everything that was happening it was already bought endeavor owns it and he's kind of just like a like a frontman promoter like very old school like the kind of promoter i grew up with in the 70s bombastic like like a almost like a don king type and he, i don't know if you need that anymore
1: He's honestly not even that anymore. Like if we're going to compare this to a pitcher, he's throwing 75 now because yeah. he won the race. He got paid, he he was successful, he won, his buddies left and you have seen a steady decline in his passion, his fire and it's very apparent because he was so fiery, he was so passionate as he was trying to build this up. And I know some people might say like, oh, here's Ariel trying to hate on Dana. No, in, in, in reality, this is actually a compliment. This is a testament to what he has built. The fact that it doesn't need him anymore is a testament that he has built this incredible well-oiled machine. And I would argue there's only two combat sports entities on the planet that have reached the status of, hey, we're coming to town, let's buy tickets, right? No one else can say this other than WWE and UFC. We just saw WWE breaks their gate for WrestleMania. They haven't even announced a single match for WrestleMania. Right. They still broke their gate. UFC is coming to London. They sell it out within seconds. Top Rank can't say that. Matchroom Boxing can't say that. Don King obviously can't. No one can say. AEW can't Taylor say Swift.
0: that. That's it. Taylor yeah, I'm talking the other combat
1: one. sports. Yeah, no, it's I, only I them you. two, right? And so that's a testament to him. But if you are saying, if you are arguing that this whole ship sinks, and you know what? ESPN believes it, and Endeavor believes it, that they would be in trouble if he left. It's 100% not true, because I know this. He's not the one signing fighters. He's not the one scouting them. He's not the one making fights. He's not the one negotiating. He's not the one renegotiating. He's not doing any of that anymore. And on top of that, what's he best known for? Showing up to the press conference, telling you, you need to watch this fight on Saturday. He hardly does that. He's skipping press conferences. He's skipping shows. Their first pay per view is next weekend in Brazil. By the way, Spotify Live will be there Friday morning. yeah, let's Saturday go. Night. Uh, if he doesn't show up to that, does anyone bat an eye? Does this event not go forward? Of I would, I not. would go
0: further. I think. I mean, for somebody like me, who's obviously not as much of a diehard as the others, but I do watch a lot of the pay per views and I know what's going on. Like, I feel like the 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 number one broadcast team to me is way more important than Dana White. I really like the broadcast team. I like when Rogan's there and I like when Cormier's there. And I just, I think Anik does a great job and I like the three of them together. It feels bigger. I think they have They're great. real chemistry and um, compared to like some of the other sports, there's not a lot of broadcast booths that I actually really like, you know? Like at Collinsworth and Michaels, I really like, they split them up. I think Aikman and Buck are good. Um, there's some NBA combos that'll work to some degree. I like when Breen and Van Gundy, I think when it's just the two of them, I think are really good. Um, but I thought those guys were good. And I feel the absence more with those guys if they're not at an event versus like, what do I care if Dana White's at an event?
1: So and he's yeah, not I doing think... anything behind the scenes. And that's the real like that's what he's implying, right? Like my staff needs me here. Bro, like you're showing. Well, we're in up... like,
0: yeah, we're in like what four point stage of if if UFC was like, you know, Microsoft or AOL releasing versions of itself. What is this? Like yeah. the four. stage, the five oh stage? Like yeah, he like, was a like, 1.0, 2.0, 3.0
1: guy. Well, uh, he wouldn't be one because that was the original owners, or right? Po- you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So one, the one point would be the first ten years. Then the Fortidas come in, and two point oh is probably you know the 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 two thousand to two thousand ten era, and then you got three after Fox and four point mean, oh now ESPN's the ESPN era. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And and they they don't need him, but I do believe that there are people who he does business with who believe that they need him. And I don't know why they feel this way. He, he is obviously a larger-than-life figure. He's bombastic. He has a presence. People like talking to him. But I'm telling you, as someone who like lives and breathes this stuff and talks to people on a daily, hourly basis, he is not the one doing business. For Are you USC. glad you're He's not at one.
0: ESPN right now
1: as this whole thing was <laughs> happening?
0: Because that would have been fucking weird, right?
1: So the producer... You,
0: I know you well enough to know that you would not have backed off or changed anything you said or not talked about this. So, if you were there, I do feel like this would you you would become a part of the story because you would not have backed off.
1: It would be a nightmare for me. Uh, the producer of the Ringer MMA show, great guy named Troy Farkas, was also my producer at ESPN, and we mm. were talking about this. How miserable I would be, and and maybe not even knowing if I would be able to survive because there's like a fire in me that feels like he has to speak about these things and at least try to keep it as real as possible. I I lived it. I don't regret anything. I have a lot of friends there and I still watch his PN and support them and all that stuff. But I know what the thought process is when it comes to these controversial things. And even when it comes to the not so controversial things, like, oh, you can't talk about Jake Paul. Like what? Why not? Oh, because he's <laughs> talking smack about Dana White. Like yeah. who cares? And then I'll compare the double standard, like, wow, I'll see someone, you know, analyst A or host B go off on James Dolan, who's a quote unquote partner, I guess, because he's an owner in the NBA. And why can't I do that about the owner of UFC when he does something? I country, found out about sure.
0: it with Goodell. I, had, I went no through it. No one knows more than you. So 13 yes. and 14. Yeah, it was like, well, that guy is our biggest partner. It's like, well, he's handled the Ray Rice thing abominably and he's lying about it publicly in front of everybody. I'm going to talk
1: about that. I'm sorry. And, and um, so this guy isn't even the biggest partner and I couldn't say no. a word. I couldn't even say a peep. I couldn't even talk about the competition. And so, yeah, I'd be lying if I didn't say like, whew, thankfully, I don't, you know, I don't have those shackles on me.
0: Yeah, it's worked out nicely for you. Um, we have <laughs> 10 minutes to talk okay. about WWE. Oh my. We don't know a lot. We can read between the lines with some stuff. We know that um, things were running better without him in a lot of different ways. We know that Triple H, who was pushed to the side, obviously wasn't pushed to the side. Vince was probably threatened by him in some way. Um, We know Vince, even though he stepped down and was out of the loop, we know he was in the office every day and running, running into people and working out and really missed it and wanted to be involved. And eventually this leads to him bringing back two people that he fired, who used to run WWE with him, Michelle Wilson and George Barrows. I, I worked with Michelle and the Andre, of the giant doc. She's very nice. Um, but brings these two people back that he fired so he could get control of the board again. And then Stephanie resigns two days ago. This crazy report uh, comes out. Just one tweet that it's been bought by the Saudis, and everybody runs with it. Nobody yeah. vets it. Nobody's like, who's this person who reported this? It just goes, trends it's like, oh my God, Vince, they bought, they sold to the Saudis. It's like, and I, I'm like, I just, my bullshit detector was going off. I was like, I don't, I don't see how this is true. I don't see why they wouldn't have, have shopped this. I always thought Endeavor was going to be the, probably the leading intender to buy it. But anyway, now Vince is back. This is all happening during the playoffs for WWE, which is, you know, the, the January event all the way through WrestleMania. This is like the 10 week stretch that matters the most. So the timing is weird. This was Scott so weird this week, Ariel, that I actually started to wonder if this was a work. <laughs> I, know I really a lot did. Of I was make like, this is the first time. I was like, this is too crazy. I I, I wonder know. if this is all engineered. So let's start there. This isn't a work, right?
1: No, this is not a work. And and, okay. and it's 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 an easy thing to say because like we've seen the McMahon family feud play out on television, right? With his daughter, yeah. with his wife, with his son. Uh, but no, it's not a work. It has been utterly bizarre. And I guess there's a few perspectives because. The first one, let's just say the fan perspective. Remember, I'll never forget like we were talking right before SummerSlam about me being so tired of the product and me saying like, yeah. you know, I've seen Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns a thousand times and yeah, we got to right. do Kill better than me. this. This was right before he resigned, right? He retired. And uh, I know some people at WWE didn't love that, you know, they 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 didn't appreciate it, but it wasn't contentious. but it was like, "Oh man." Then ever since he leaves I went to Clash at the Castle uh, in Cardiff, Wales. I was there working for BT Sport. And I got to tell you, man, like the the vibe around the talent, around the locker room, so to speak, backstage, it was like a completely different place. Like it was like these clouds had opened up and you sensed it on television. You heard from people like, man, everyone's spirits are high. Everyone, no one says a bad thing about Stephanie. I mean, it's a remarkable thing. Like no one speaks badly of her. Everyone seems to respect her tremendously. Same with Paul. Very likable. Very likable. And then you have Nick Khan, you've got this three-headed monster, like, wow, they are killing it. And so as a fan, it's like, man, are we going back to what it was, you know, pre-July? Now, as of right this moment, Paul Ivek is still there. Uh, he's still chief content officer, but you'd be foolish if you don't at least raise the question, like, wait, his wife just left. And now he's That's sticking That's Triple around. H for
0: the listeners, by the
1: way. Sorry, yes, Triple H. Um, so he's still there, like, what's going to happen there? And uh, as you mentioned, like, is he going to get, is he going to get like elbowed out or is he going to stick around? Worth noting, by the way, people forget this. Stephanie did take her own leave of absence before the scandal broke and then had to come back once the Wall Street Journal reports. So maybe, maybe. I've she has a whole
0: family. Maybe she didn't want to run it full time. Who knows? Right. The so timing maybe she's was definitely like,
1: suspicious. Yes. But maybe she's like, hey, you're back. Now I could go back to doing what I wanted to do and stay home with my kids or, or do whatever. Who knows? But it is a fascinating thing and worth noting, you know, Nick Khan is still there who I have tremendous respect for. I feel like I always have to say it. My former agent, I believe in him. I trust in him. He's always four steps ahead. Him sticking around, because I'll be honest, I was wondering like, where does he fall into all this? Him sticking around gives me hope that they will make the right deal um, for the future of the business and the company. But it does certainly feel to me like Vince came back and said, hey, if I can't be here, none of you can be here, meaning his family. And I'm just going to sell this thing off And you guys are going to have to deal with it also. Or
0: wait, or he's decided we're fucking selling this thing. I'm coming back and we're selling this. And I don't trust you guys to basically move at the pace I want to move. So I have to take back control and we're selling this next six months. That's my theory and guess.
1: Or to keep it private, right? So that he doesn't have to answer to the SEC or any kind of board anymore. Um, Because that was part of the problem here. So, yeah, but you yeah.
0: can't, you can't like the, the WrestleMania, The Rock was going to be at WrestleMania in LA, right? If with all this upheaval and all this crazy stuff happening, let's say they, they did try to go private and sell it to the Saudis. The Rock's going to be at WrestleMania? Like this is going to dramatically change their business. There's things that they won't be able to get away with. Not to mention, you know, v- Vince hasn't really spoken publicly about all the allegations and the, the NWAs that he... That the NDAs that he uh, that he signed and just all that stuff we haven't really heard him talk about it. So no, and I, don't I don't think, think you we can will, say like I took a break. Yeah, we probably won't. So that's why I've, I just feel like he's coming back to sell it and then he's out and he probably just wants to cash in. I think it really probably did bother him though that things were going so well without him. Like think about that. He's had this thing. I'm working on this massive docu series right now about him, which is obviously that keeps evolving. Yeah. Um, Jeez. This guy's been doing this since 1976. This is his. This was a local promotion that he blew up in a whole thing. And I think, I think he honestly like kind of lost it that it was doing well without him. You know? I, when you've had I, something for five decades and and then it's like, oh, it's gonna fall by. It's a little like what we we're talking about with Dana White. Oh, it's gonna fall apart now. It's like, no, actually, it's not gonna fall apart. It's doing yeah. better.
1: And that's a you tough know? blow, right? And I think he was trying to pitch that to them, like, hey, you need me back if you wanna get the next big TV deal. I I remember talking to someone very early on in all this and saying, like, Vince, we've always been told is the guy who doesn't sneeze because he feels like that's a sign of weakness. He works out at 4 a.m. He doesn't sleep this, that and the other. How is this? Like, what is this guy doing now? You know what I mean? Like, well, we're just supposed to believe that he retired and he's on a beach somewhere drinking, you know, a pina colada. So the idea that he was just going to sail off into the sunset, it was either going to be he was going to die or he was going to come back. And so he came back because we were always told he's just going to die on his desk. Like he's he's just going to ride this whole thing out. So there is a part of me that wishes like, man, it was going so well. And they all of a sudden in a weird way became this underdog, right? Like it was like, wow, Triple H is back from this incredible. Well, And that's
0: how the AEW was, felt like it was yeah. kind of taking its corner in some ways and they fought them off and. Yeah, But, a but also story. like
1: AEW was going here down with, with the yeah. whole like mutiny in the locker room and oh, these guys yeah. were like sunshine it and yes. yeah. And so what a, what a crazy industry to cover. What a crazy thing. I will just say, maybe I'll have egg on my face. I don't buy the Saudi story. Not the one. That I don't support. either. Look at live golf. Look at the trouble that they have selling TV rights. You can't even get that a TV nature. deal. Right. What what are they banking on here? What is this all about? This is about the big rights deal coming up. Is Comcast going to do a deal with the Saudi investment fund? Is is Fox going to do a deal? I just have a hard time seeing it and I feel like there are enough options out there for them. But uh I feel for the wrestlers and I feel for the fans. Uh it feels like everything was going swimmingly and now this kind of just messed it up and and it's hard, you know, we're going back to the Dana thing like I don't condone what he was doing, what he was accused of, what he's being, you know, um what's being written about like his behavior. And, and now it's like, it, it feels like that sort of, that, that, that rootability, I don't know if that's a word, has evaporated and it feels like, okay, now we're back to business as usual, as they say. It was a
0: really bad sign that Stephanie resigned and yeah. we could say, oh, glass half full. She never intended to stay that long and right.
1: whatever. That's what but, I was hoping for. But yeah, cause she's so, you know, she's so likable and respected. Like I, I've talked to people, wrestlers, I've talked to people in the locker room and they're like, We love her. We look up to her. We 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 admire her. We aspire to be like her. Like she is the she's the quintessential female like power woman, businesswoman. By the way, one of the underreported things now because it's so fresh. Like, could you imagine what Stephanie McMahon is going to do if she decides to do something? You know, I know Shane kind of had some things, but it never really worked out. A company like imagine a media company run by her. I feel like she'll she'll be very successful in whatever she does, and she probably doesn't have to work ever again. Obviously, if this thing sells, she's fi- fine. Or like luck,
0: political office or something,
1: man. Yeah. yeah,
0: the um, I don't know how it plays out. I'm still not 100 percent sure this is not a word. <laughs> Stop! Come on, really? Like ninety ninety seven percent sure. At the timing of of this stretch, makes me.
2: I, look,
0: we've been following this this thing for our whole lives. Like, I'm just always going to be suspicious anytime this is.
1: Wow, uh, you're the first one to bring that up, and I'm actually surprised that you're the first because usually everyone goes in that direction. No,
0: I don't think I'm right. It's just it's I'm just conditioned to, to be suspicious because it's be so insane. weird. Her leaving is weird. The fact that it was going so well and he just want to come in and submarine that. So maybe this leads to just them getting sold to somebody. I still think it's going to be Endeavor. Matt Bellany and Lucas Shaw did a really good podcast for us on the town on Monday with all the possible buyers. I think Endeavor. Does he who, stick around?
1: If he sells it, is it like I'm selling it because I want to still be around here and run this or am I selling it to just go away? And So get that's the question,
0: right? If he sells it, if he did like sell it to an outside whoever like the Saudis and he'd be like, the part of the condition is I have to run this. But then the question is, how do you get all these people to work for you? Like they, the, the pre, the previous regime we'll call it the the Nick and Triple H and Stephanie like they had to unwind a lot of Vince stuff from the last couple of years. And they did there a pretty good a, job in a short amount of time, They did a good right? job but was guys. like yeah. they, they were lunches and there were dinners were going out with people to be like hey this is a new WWE like they were there was definitely a messaging that was out there like hey we kind of have our shit together now sorry about the last couple of years and for that to just abruptly stop is so Great. bizarre. I did not so, think this would happen. I don't know. Happen. I don't know what happens, but I, you know, at some point when you're in your late seventies, should you, should you be running any any sort of entertainment thing? It's pretty hard. How do you I, have the taste? How do you have the knowledge? How do you have a sense of
1: oh no, what's right and what's wrong? Like, I, ugh. and we've seen it, right? Like he was losing touch. I will say, I this, feel like I'm
0: losing touch now. I'm 53. Right, I'm like, right. oh my God, I, do I have six months left? What's
1: happening? If you're a fan, I can understand you saying, leave me alone with all this stuff. I don't care. As long as, you know, SmackDown's on Friday and Raw's on Monday. Great. Here's where you should get concerned. If Paul Levesque leaves, if Triple H leaves and Vince comes in and says, I'm taking over creative, that to me yeah, is a very that's, troubling thing. That's that would the, be or if he says, alarming. I'm putting in my own guy, you know, like wh- whomever, a Bruce Pritch, I don't know. Like- he doesn't
0: have any guys left. He had all, we know all his guys. What right. is he going to find a new guy? I don't that's know. another thing that happens when somebody is way high up like this for a long time, they just kind of tend to know the three, four, five people they've been around every day. It's not, this is what's happening at Belichick right now. Yeah, it's like true. Belichick's got to fix his staff. Well, how's he going to fix his staff? It's either people around him forever or these kind of junior people that moved up because people left. He doesn't want to bring in outsiders to just move in. Nick, that's why the, when he brought Nick on in, that was so surprising. He'd never done anything like that, but True. Nick had built a relationship with him for 10 solid years. So it felt like he was in the family, even though he wasn't really in the family. Um, I, I think it's going to be a mess. And what's funny is Endeavor is in both of these, right? crazy right it's, it's in the ufc and it's in my opinion the leading contender for wwe and it's all happening at the same time they're not saying anything
1: and the two but, heads are involved in these things like what a you're right i mean the the venn diagram right now of, of my life thank god for my buffalo bills well i have a i but. have a
0: positive question for you before we okay. go this yes, is a 90
1: second question okay
0: you have one all-star spot for the next do you give it to jalen brunson or julius randall
1: brunson Easy. explain Jalen Brunson is the reason why Julius Randle is playing so well. Uh, Jalen Brunson is the difference. I know maybe the numbers might be greater, but Jalen Brunson is the reason why there's seven, eight, whatever they are right now. Um, he's the missing link. He's the best point guard that they've had, dare I say, since Chris Childs and Charlie Ward, as crazy as that may sound, Marbury was a bust. Jeremy Lin had a good two-week stretch. Uh, he is worth every penny. Everyone who said that that was you know, crazy, overpaid, BS. I just, you know, a part of me wishes that they did the Donovan deal and wishes that was the backcourt. But nevertheless, to answer the question, I give it to Brunson. I'm guessing it goes to Randall. What do you think? I think
0: it should go to Brunson. Oh, and wow. I, yeah, we did, uh, Zach and I did an all-star pod on Tuesday. And we, we there's a chance they could have two. Wow. because Just because um, both of those guys are having great years. But I think especially the games Brunson had this week, and just going at Drew Holiday the way he did the other night. And then last night he was great too against Indiana. It Love him. really fit it feels like it's his team. Yeah. And since that's the case, to me, that's the tiebreaker between them. It feels like, especially in the last four minutes. And the reason I asked you this for the people listening, is a huge longtime Knicks fan. But it really fit you had this, you had this like basically self driving Tesla that you never knew if the thing was just going to stop on the highway at any point in time. And now you have like a real driver who's oh. like, I got this guy. I sit back there. We've never play had some it. music. Yeah, you haven't had it. Hey, Chris even you said Chris, Chris Childs and Charlie Ward. Those guys weren't even
1: good. I know, but at least they were somewhat stable. Like we paid a lot of money for Childs from the Nets back in the day. But yeah, I mean, Mark Jackson prior to that, Rod Strickland, Walt yeah, Frazier. Rod Strickland
0: was good. Yeah, Walt Str- Rod Strickland's a good one. Rod Strickland Yeah, but he lasted like two together. seasons. They yeah, got rid of him. Jackson. Yeah. All right. Good to see you, Ariel. We'll see, uh, we'll see how it goes with WWE and UFC and especially, uh, your bills this weekend, but good luck. Y- you're you. right. I think a lot of people root for you this weekend. Go bills. This episode is supported by state farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. All right, Benjamin Solak is here. We're taping this. It is now like in Pacific time on Thursday. So if anything dramatic happens, don't blame us. We haven't seen you in a couple weeks. We have a six-game opening weekend that includes two horrible lines. <laughs> two teams that shouldn't be in the playoffs If we could do this over again, if we had a vote, we would have voted for Detroit. We would have voted for Pittsburgh. We would have been able to have fun conversations about both games. Mm -hmm. Instead, we have the Niners and the Seahawks, and we have the Dolphins with Skylar Thompson probably against the Bills. Which game are you least excited about?
3: Uh, Dolphins-Bills. I have in my notes in terms of like when I was writing down the matchups for each game, the notes in Dolphins-Bills is... uh, Josh Allen's greatness versus whatever other television programming is on at this time. Because it's just like, <laughs> how long is my attention going to be held uh, by this one? That's a really disappointing one, just because I remember when we did the pot after the trade deadline and I was kind of listing teams I thought had legit Super Bowl chances. I had the Dolphins up there because of what the Dolphins offense was. And when it's got to a man, I mean, like we played they played in Buffalo in the snow. And it was a one possession game yep. in the fourth quarter. They can run with anybody. They don't got him. And if they don't got him, uh, the offense falls to pieces and there's not a fun team.
0: There's two uh, playoff gambling manifesto rules that I've my manifesto that I've had for 25 years that I keep right. adding to, changing, tweaking. Bills minus 13 and a half, and the three rules are basically beware of any team that might use a major off-field distraction as a galvanizing force leading up to the big playoff game. Hamlin is like the all-time. I mean, yeah, he's right. probably going to be at this game. I can't even imagine the emotions can be the stadium. Rule number 11: Don't ever talk yourself into a terrible QB ever for any reason. Skyler Thompson's, like, actively bad. Um, he's... I would say we've... We watched, what, 66 QBs this year?
3: It was unbelievable. I would put
0: him in the bottom 10%, maybe the bottom mm-hmm. five, maybe even the bottom four. Where would you have him?
3: Okay. Uh, he's... Yeah, he's probably there. I'm trying to run through all of the bad white quarterbacks, like the Nate Petermans that are still hanging around, right? right? right. Like all of these just, like, you know, future quarterbacks coaches who are still chilling. Um, But, he, yeah, I mean, he was a long career starter at Kansas State. And that's pretty much all you needed to know about him. I would have said the same about Brock Purdy in Iowa State, though, and, you know, who knows? I'm very curious what playoff game it was that generated Rule 11 there. That sounds like a, a rule written out of out of uh, frustration for a for No, a you know pick. what?
0: You know, it actually was written out of a positive way. It was Quincy Carter, like 20 years ago, mm. um, starting a playoff game for the Cowboys, I think against Carolina, maybe. And, um, and... Over the course of the week, people try to talk themselves into it. And we never see anyone get overwhelmed like a bad quarterback in a big playoff game, especially on the road. There's a whole bunch of reasons not to take this. The other one is, you know, this was the best stat I saw in a while. And it was online in a couple different places that in the last 62 round one games, the teams who win the game are also 54-7-1 against the spread. And this has been a playoff manifesto rule forever. Pick the team you think is going to win. Don't get scared by the number. Don't be like, ah, that's a lot of points. Now, what's funny is the Bengals, which we'll talk about later, um, that's one where I do think the line's too high and we have to really sort that out. But for the most part, pick the team that's going to win. Last year, Mm -hmm. all six winners also covered the spread. We only had one underdog that covered. They also won. So that's how it goes. So we think in this Miami Buffalo, this is uh, not even worth talking about. So we should just move to Niner Seahawks.
3: Yeah, the actual matchup I have down on my notes is Josh Allen versus Josh Allen, just because Mm. Allen Allen leads the league in lost turnovers at 19. But critically, he leads the league with seven turnovers inside the red zone. The next closest is with three. That's because of a little bit how he's used, right? Interceptions, but also he runs the football a lot in the red zone. But man, if you want to let a stupid home, two touchdown game spread, basically a bye week before we face the Chiefs, all of a sudden become a thing. Yeah, turn the ball over in the red zone. Make stupid plays. You know, Let let three or four high leverage opportunities end up making a fourth quarter game that you have to care about. So Josh has got to avoid the mistakes. That's the only way this thing spirals for the Bills. Other than that, I could not find a single interesting thing to talk about in this one.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting if Mostert hadn't gotten hurt, he mm-hmm. looked awesome last week. And then you could have you could have basically like here's the case for the Dolphins to keep it close. What you just said, Allen makes a couple of dumb throws, and then Mostert's able to really run on them and move the ball and they're just a little like what the Patriots looked like last week. We're like kind of trying to run up the middle and then a little play action, throw and yeah. Just kinda of have long drives.
3: They they might get Tron Armstead back for this game, which they in order to run the football, they need to have Tron Armstead at left tackle. And then they have Jeff Wilson, who they traded for midseason, who is a yeah. solid. Like he's a Niners back. Like He knows the system. So, like, you can argue, okay, like, you get like, you know, Mike McDaniel goes back into his run coordinator bag and really shortens this game by possessing the football. Sure. But even then, it doesn't work if the Bills are getting seven at the end of their drives because the Dolphins aren't going to be able to consistently keep pace with that. So, avoid the red zone turnovers and you're okay.
0: Were you surprised? I saw this on Football Outsiders that Buffalo is the seventh team ever to be in top five in offense, defense, special teams. It's only happened seven times. And the, fir- mm-hmm. the other six were the 85 Bears, 91 Washington, and 96 Green Bay all won the Super Bowl. Your Eagles in 92, legendary team. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 2012 and 2015 Seahawks, neither of whom won the Super Bowl, and that's it.
3: Yeah, I think, right, that fifth, top five in special teams really winnows out a big field, right? You've had a lot of teams that probably end up top five yeah. in offensive defense, and that special teams knocks in. But hey, it ends up mattering late in games. It doesn't surprise me. They're really, 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 really efficient. It's the big plays. It's the it's the moments, right? It's the huge bombs they give up against the Dolphins. It's the turnovers in the red zone that kill them, right? Uh, I have been picking the Chiefs to come out of the AFC pretty much all year. I'm still picking the Chiefs to come out of the AFC. Yeah. If you ask me flat out why are the Chiefs better than the Bills, I'd have to make up an answer. You know, I'd have to kind of, I kinda, uh, uh, you know, uh, jerry-rig it a little bit. But it's, it's that aspect of the Bills where I, I want them to earn my trust. And I don't know if they've got that all the way just yet relative to some of the other AFC teams.
0: Who do you think the Atlanta thing helps more that the AFC title game between those two would be in Atlanta in terms of the game actually being in Atlanta? Mm-hmm. Obviously, it would help KC more to have the game at home. But playing KC, KC versus the Bills, neutral site, indoors, in Atlanta, who is that more it, helpful yeah. to?
3: So I think it helps both of them uh, uh, overall. If you look at the numbers in terms of points per game in indoor games this year, both the Chiefs and the Bills are over 30 points per game. If we get a Chiefs-Bills in a Dome game, we will have a good day, right? Close the roof yeah. and let's score some points. Yeah, maybe. let's like, go. Let's give, yeah. I will say that one of the things you've seen with the Bills is when they play in really, really cold weather, sometimes the receivers struggle to catch footballs from Josh Allen, he throws it so hard, right? Hits your hands and it hurts. Mm. Uh, and so if, if we had, had like a Bills one seed and we ended up with like single digit temperatures, it would have been something to care about. So that's really the only thing where I think like maybe there's a little bit of a, of a needle move, but that's like a very niche scenario. In general, the second I saw, yeah, Mercedes Benz, I was like, All right, I know what I'm rooting for. I want forty five to forty two with ten seconds left. That's what I want.
0: Right now we have on FanDuel Casey's plus one sixty five, Buffalo's plus one ninety, the Bengals are four four to one. Chargers are eleven to one. Me and Sal bet on the Chargers a week ago at twelve to one. And mm-hmm. then the Mike Williams thing we can talk about later. Let's talk about the uh the Mike Williams thing really making me nervous for this week, yeah. but let's talk about uh Niners, Seahawks. So there's some there's some interesting stuff with this game. First of all, the Niners are way better and they should beat the Seahawks. But the Seahawks, Warren Sharp had a tweet about how the Seahawks are a really good, cheap touchdown kind of lingering in the second half team, where in the second half, the money line, their last 12, they're nine and three. In the third quarter against the spread last 9 they're eight and one. In the fourth quarter against the spread last 13, they're 10 and three. And this line right now is nine and a half might move to 10. And that would be my big fear with betting the Niners minus nine and a half is like, you know, they're up 14, 15, say whatever. And there's Geno going down the field with three minutes left. And all of a sudden, you know, they, Seahawks lose by nine or eight or seven. Um, there's no chance the Seahawks can win this game, right? We can cross them off for that.
3: I don't think they do. I think that the, the a Niners' ability to generate pressure against a really young Seahawks front is just too great to overcome, right? Uh, in the in the game previously, played in Week 15, they had 16 total pressures from Samson Ebukom, Eric Armstead, and Nick Bosa. Sa- uh, Nick Bosa and Samson Ebukom both had six. And the reason I bring that up is because if I say Nick Bosa has six pressures, you go, yeah, he's a star. And then if I say Samson Ebocom also had six, yeah, the guy's in his back. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like the defensive coordinator's doing his stuff. They've got a deep group. Uh That up against a quarterback like Gino, who just wants to operate from the pocket. He's fine when he gets out, but they tend to try to work, you know, five steps, seven steps from the pocket. It's really tough for the Seahawks to handle. They've scored seven and 13 points against this Niners defense, respectively. The one big matchup for me, if the Seahawks are going to generate enough points on offense to keep this thing close, is DK Metcalf, their wide receiver against Traverius Ward. When I go to think about, like, star players in the league, like, legit, like play like stars week in and week out that don't get any notice. I start with Charverius Ward the corner uh, for the 49ers. Came over from Kansas City. This year from Next Gen Stats forced the highest tight window target rate at 35% since entering the league in 2018. Oh, just 11 receptions for 148 yards in man coverage in 2022. Jesus. Dominant man coverage defender. He shadowed DK Metcalf in the game they played in Week 15, which is critical because the Niners don't do a lot of shadowing. They didn't shadow Devontae Adams, and that got really sketchy there for a little bit. But he shadowed Metcalf, and Metcalf struggled, only had four catches for 33 yards against him. Uh, the Seahawks paid Metcalf like a star receiver, $20 million per year. Metcalf does not like getting bullied and doesn't respond well to getting bullied. And in a game like this, divisional opponent, third time facing them, we know how they're going to play you, and we know that we need to beat them with explosive gains. We need to beat them with big passes. We have to be able to score with them. The $20 million man's got to show up. Like Metcalf absolutely has to have a better game against a physical press coverage corner than we're used to seeing him have, such that the Seahawks can go max protection, keep an extra body or two in in coverage or in protection, excuse me, survive that pass rush, and then get the deep shot to Metcalf, get the deep shot to Tyler Lockett. That's what I'm watching for. Because if they can't create 40 plus yard gains, get big scoring drives, get big touchdowns, they can't sustain drives against the Niners and the Niners can sustain drives against anybody. It's going to be that slow crushing that Kyle Shanahan likes to do. So Metcalf versus Ward, who's such a good corner. Really, really big performance in this one.
0: Does he have the championship belt for you or does is Sauce Gardner have it? Who has the belt right now for best, best, best corner? corner league? Guy? Yeah, best cover corner.
3: Probably Sauce still. I mean, like, uh, it sounds ridiculous to say of a rookie. I hate saying it a rookie. I'm a big, like, I want to see it for multiple years. I don't buy one one season of production. Sauce is so good. <laughs> sauce is. So, I was going to say, so, so It's sauce for me. So good. Yeah. 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 Uh, I put together my my uh, first team in terms of. of uh, I saw of, your first yeah. and
0: second team. Not uh, not loaded with Patriots.
3: Well, the Patriots are not loaded with really great players. That's the tricky <laughs> no, part. There, it for was me. So, it was <laughs> a
0: sobering uh, sobering yeah. picture of forty four guys and one Patriot. Yeah.
3: But the, the top two corners uh, for me were, were, were Sauce Gardner and Patrick Sertan. And I think that when, you, when I go to think about guys who just dominate every coverage, every type of receiver, no matter what, you know. And Sauce, obviously, like cover three, kind of limited in how he's deployed, but Sertan, certainly. Those are the guys. And then Ward starts to enter the conversation in that second tier.
0: So the Niners were basically first and weighted DVOA. Seattle, I thought, tailed off second half of the season. They lost Brooks. Mm-hmm. I, Metcalf just seems like he can be taken out, to your point, with the matchup. Yep. Um, they do have Lockett back. I thought Walker was running better the last couple weeks, but it's hard for me to shake. I mean, they barely beat the Rams. The Rams, McVay's already like he's, you know, packed his luggage for whatever vacation he's going to. Um, Baker Mayfield was atrocious in that game, like just flat out capital A atrocious, and they still almost won. So it's just hard for me to believe you go from that to this San Francisco team that it's not. I'm gonna end up taking. San Francisco minus nine and a half. The perfect piece of it. Yeah,
3: the line freaks me out though, because Kyle will get a 14, 16 point lead halfway through the third quarter and go run, 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 run. And he will beg the Seahawks to backdoor this thing. So spread does scare me in this one.
0: Well, let me give you this one. On FanDuel, San Francisco wins the first half and the game minus 185.
3: Yeah, I like that. How about this? That makes sense to me.
0: Buffalo wins the first half and the game minus 250.
1: Hmm.
3: That's like minus 250 is long, but that's surprisingly like I would have expected like 350 that I'm sorry, I don't see how the Dolphins get on top of them. San
0: Francisco and Buffalo win the first <laughs> half in the game parlay plus 115 plus odds. Wow.
3: It's very it, it. The number of like 10 point teasers, multiple team money line parlays that feel good in this wildcard weekend has me so very <laughs> concerned, right? Like how many times have I checked? Okay, Bengals to win Niners to win Bills to win. Oh, there's no way this misses, right? Like it's very, it's very worrisome. But it, it smells correct. Like you know what I'm saying? it, it, it would be surprising to see teams like the Niners and teams like the Bills, who have had multiple seasons of playoff experience, come out and lay a total stinker in in the wildcard round. I'd be shocked to see it.
0: And the Niners are, I mean, I think their ceiling is the highest of any in either conference. Whether there's still a lot of baggage with Shanahan, they still have a rookie QB yeah. who's six and zero, but he's still a rookie. Um but all the things they can do during a game, I just, there's no other team that can do the stuff they do. Yeah. Where it's, they can just split McCaffrey out as a receiver. They can take their tight end and just run 40 yard outs with him and wheel routes. And they have Debo, who's like, there's nobody else like him in the league. And they can just use all these pieces. It's like watching somebody make this incredible dinner. There's nobody in the league close to the weapons they have.
3: We have never, ever seen a personnel grouping like this where when they, when, no. they go, when they go 21 personnel, right? So two backs, that's McCaffrey and, and Kyle Juszczyk, one tight end with George Kittle, and then two receivers, Brandon Ayuken and uh, Debo Samuel. They can line up in any formation they want and do it with three different dudes in the backfield, four even when they put Kittle back there sometimes. Ayuk, they'll hand the ball off to him on like jet sweeps and stuff. And then they can go empty, five wide on the next snap. We have never seen versatility like this. And the level of preparation it takes is a total headache, right? To have to deal with all of this. So there's a little bit of like, all right, Seahawks are seeing it for the third time. Maybe that helps a little bit, but I'm not sure it's too much. If Shanahan gets like some of these base defenses, though, like Dan Quinn just kind of line up and play. John Gannon for the Eagles just line up and play. With this level of versatility, with this much ability to like hide and play whack-a-mole, I, I, I struggle to find a defense in the NFC playoffs, that can stop this Niners offense, save for one. And it's the Giants. Because Wink Martindale doesn't care. He'll just blitz anything. Right. Send the <laughs> just house, just yeah. Send pressure to Brock break Purdy. Brock Purdy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it, it's, I believe in the Niners. I really, really do. And it's because this personnel grouping is just so unique.
0: No Brooks for Seattle either, which is just a disaster because their defense wasn't really good anyway. I, mm-hmm. To me, the safest thing to do is just 10-team, 10.3-team tees, or the money parlay with the Niners and just have some fun with that. It's the first game. I don't I I just don't see it. It would have to be like a complete catastrophic almost legendary meltdown loss where Brock Purdy just turns into a pumpkin over the course of four quarters, but Seattle doesn't have the type of team that would even make him do that and he's super confident.
3: Right. And if Purdy turns into a pumpkin, like
0: It won't be this game.
3: Right. Hand hand the ball off every single down. You can. You have Elijah Mitchell back. Your offensive line's been playing well. Like, Purdy, you don't need Purdy to throw the ball 25 times. You really don't against the Seahawks run defense. So if Purdy pumpkins and it kills the Niners, there's blame on Purdy. But there's a lot of blame on Kyle because you shouldn't be in a rookie's first career playoff start. You shouldn't be putting him in a place where him pumpkining matters. Run the football. Don't even put him in, in, in that dangerous situation.
0: We're aligned on that one. All right. Let's go. Uh what's your what's your key matchup for the Chargers Jags?
3: Yeah, so this is uh Trevor Lawrence versus a, a ticking clock. Trevor Lawrence versus the blitz, Trevor Lawrence versus the rush. For perspective, these teams played in week three, dominant performance in the Jaguars. The the Chargers were super banged up in that Pretty game. Pretty no sleeky game. Allen. Yeah. Herbert yeah, exactly. was Herbert probably Herbert's broken ribs. ribs. Exactly. Yeah. And Joey Bosa left during that game. And the reason I bring this up is because uh, that was one of two games this year where the Chargers failed to get a sack. They only had nine pressures. which was the second lowest number of any game this season. They could not dial a P on Trevor Lawrence. Why? Because Lawrence was getting rid of the ball unbelievably fast. 2.2 seconds time to throw. Second lowest game of, of the season for him. Uh, less than five yards depth of target. Also second lowest in a game this season. Doug Peterson had Brandon Staley and said, listen, we don't think you guys can tackle us. We don't think you guys can 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 get home quick enough. We're just gonna dink and dunk, and we're gonna dink and dunk all the way down the field. And then they had their heavy running game. They had their multiple tight ends and John, they had James Robinson at the time, and they just incrementally walked the football down the field. Lawrence was untouched, unflappable for the entire game. Unacceptable. If you if you end up like this again, if you're if you're the Chargers, you're going to lose this game. Lawrence will make his mistakes, but if you if you let him be that free, if you let him be that quick and just kind of point and shoot point guard offense, you are in dire straits. What the Chargers have done in terms of their defensive improvement over the last several weeks of the season is they blitzed a lot. In the second half of the season, they're fifth in the league in blitz percentage, something that Brandon Mm. Staley has not been known for. They're changing pictures a lot. They'll slant the front, and then they'll add a linebacker, right? Kenneth Murray, who's a guy they don't really like in coverage. What do you do with a guy you don't like in coverage? Blitz him, send him, <laughs> we're going to hide him. And so they're, they're, they're running stunts in the defensive front and they're adding a guy late to that front. It makes it confusing against the run and it allows them to dial up a little bit of better pressure against the pass. Against the blitz, Trevor Lawrence is 35th in the league in terms of depth of target. When he gets blitzed, he checks it down. So the matchup in this game is the Chargers saying, all right, we know where you're going to be in a spot where you're throwing shallow. It's going to be underneath the Travis Etienne, underneath the Dan Arnold, underneath the Christian Kirk. and You're trying to beat us after the catch. Can the Chargers tackle? Do the Chargers have enough physicality in what's generally a pretty soft defense to tackle? Or can they get home with their pass rush? Joey Bosa back for this game. Can he be the difference maker they didn't have? And so I like the Chargers to win it because I think they're more talented. But there's a way that Lawrence has a really nice playoff debut by just taking the easy stuff, taking it quick, walking down the field and neutralizing the Chargers, not letting them get that pressure on him.
0: I like the Chargers, and I'm going to make the case against them. <laughs> Worst first down defense in the league. Gave up 6.8 yards of play. That That's mm-hmm. concerning. 29th rush D, DVOA. Like, they've just been bad all year. They've been able to cheat a little bit, but you can run on them. The Mike Williams thing, to me, is the number one fear I have, is I just think when he's healthy and doing his thing, I think they're really scary. And as soon as he's compromised at all or he's not on the field, it just feels like you're watching a different team. We don't know if Bosa might be hurt. Who knows? Um, the Brandon Staley factor, do you trust him? Do you trust him if this game gets close? Do we trust yeah. him in the fourth quarter? Do we trust him on some weird fourth and one where it's like, I'm on my own 39. i nine. Let's go for it. And then all of a sudden the Jaguars have the ball. And then the biggest thing to me, I looked at the quarterback. They have 10 wins. And I went back and I went through all the quarterbacks they beat and their defensive numbers aren't great to begin with. You know, and they lost J.C. Jackson, Bosa's been out, et cetera, et cetera. They beat Russell Wilson twice, to beat Carr, Davis Mills, Brissett, Mariota, Ky- the corpse of Kyler Murray, <laughs> Tua—that's probably one of their best ones. Tannehill, who wasn't great this year, Nick Foles, and Baker Mayfield. So, you could argue like ten wins is that those are all ten wins they probably should have had. Um, and then Jacksonville killed them in Week Three, and sometimes that seems to matter, and sometimes that doesn't. We. It was a total fluke of game. Herbert's hurt. Like, just Jacksonville mm-hmm. needed the game. There's a whole bunch of things going in there. But it does worry me that Jacksonville beat them and has that confidence coming in. Now, on the flip side, we just watched Jacksonville almost lose a playoff game to Josh Dobbs and probably should have, yep. right? They probably uh-huh. should have lost a playoff game to Josh Dobbs. And I thought Lawrence sucked in the last hour and a half of that game.
3: Yeah. Both of these uh, teams are untrustworthy. Both yes. of them. I, yeah. For the course of the season, as a as a frequent better of both the Jaguars and the Chargers, neither one of these teams is deserving of trust. At, least, believe- we
0: knew, at yeah. least we knew. At least we knew with the Jaguars, we knew by, like, week 13. Remember that Jacksonville-Detroit game? It's like, I'm staying Detroit. away. I don't trust yeah. you, Jaguars. You're not getting me this time. So yeah. we knew, at least, with them.
3: So, right. I very much agree. Like, I've been... I've like joking a lot and saying this is going to come down to which quarterback after having like a great game, 24 for 31, two touchdowns, only one sack, awesome game. Just throws like the weirdest interception you've ever seen in the red zone, <laughs> down four with six <laughs> minutes left. You're like, why? True. Why this? You've been so good. Like It just feels like there's, there's some inevitable knucklehead stuff awaiting us in, in this one. The does it matter, does it not matter of the early game is really interesting to me because we have all of these rematches. Dallas-Tampa rematch- is
0: another one. Dallas, yeah. Dallas got week killed one, in right. week one, but it was yeah. four months ago.
3: And, but D- and Dallas-Tampa is a matchup between two staffs who are pretty calcified. They're pretty crystal in what they do. The, the, the Bucks on offensive defense, the Cowboys on offensive defense, they don't really change a lot week in, yeah. week out. They kind of run their stuff and try to beat you with it. Both the Jaguars and the Chargers like to change. They like to try to game some matchups, They like to find a, try to find their spots. Doug Peterson being one of the best offensively at like finding your weak point and then hitting it on, on a week-to-week basis. Brandon Staley being one of the best at finding what you don't want to be on offense and going week-to-week. And so that chess match there is one where... You don't know how much stock to put in the week three game because you know that, okay. Well, Staley's going to change some stuff, but Doug knows that Staley's going to change some stuff, so he's going to. I'm kind of trying to figure out, you know, who, who's going to be ahead in that in that race. The Chargers' defensive improvement, I agree. Like a lot of it is is some of these quarterbacks that they faced, and just knowing that's a little bit of a paper tiger. The early down run stuff is what they want to be though they want to be the worst first down defense because they, they they want to line up on first down and take away the pass force you to run the football make you try to be incremental down the field right that's what they mm. believe in and the Jaguars were better suited for that when they had James Robinson with Travis Etienne they haven't been that way where they're willing to just grind out five yard runs constantly they don't love Etienne between the tackles he makes some bad reads it's it's not their DNA anymore so the the, the the early down run defense stats for the Chargers, like they look bad on the surface, but it's part of why they're good against the pass. is because they're willing to let teams run the football a little bit more on first down.
0: I'm throwing a theory at you. Let me see if you agree with this. Okay, Week 12, Detroit kills Jacksonville, right? It's one game. It's an 18-game season. Shit happens. It does feel like the Chargers and Detroit are a little similar offensively. You know, and, and Herbert's a way better quarterback than Goff, mm-hmm. but you know They like to have the ball, they're aggressive, they can run the ball, they have running backs that you can run or throw to, they have a couple really good receivers, and when they're on, it's cooking and they're clicking. And I do wonder with this Jacksonville team, could there be a scenario where the Chargers just beat the shit out of them? I don't think Jacksonville yeah. could beat the shit out of the Chargers, but I do think there's this but there's a world where this game is like 38 to 10 mm-hmm. and we're like, oh my God, I can't believe I took Jacksonville. That wasn't yeah. close.
3: So this this is this is such a good example of what you're talking about in terms of like, all right, at least we learned with the Jaguars, like by week thirteen, like stop betting on them. I've learned to stop asking Joe Lombardi to do smart things, the offensive coordinator for the Chargers. <laughs> right. I've moved on from this in my life. Okay. Fair. my petitions have fallen on deaf ears, my supplications are dead, I'm not doing it anymore. So when you say like can't the the Chargers do due to the Jaguars defense, what the Lions did? The answer is absolutely unequivocally yes. 100%. It could not possibly be more available to them. And you're right, the offenses have similar bones, similar influence in the West Coast. When the Chargers do their, their play-action stuff, it looks very similar to the way the Lions do it. But Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator of the Lions, is willing to press those buttons. It was at 40% play-action. Under center, first and 10 play-action crossers. Here we go. And Joe Lombardi simply refuses to. It It, it is Few things in the league have been more maddening this year than watching the Chargers' offensive line get better. And so as a result, Joe Lombardi stopped calling rollouts. They were working. Who cares where right. it's better? They help. Just keep <laughs> doing it. He he's he has such a backwards approach to football where whatever is good in his in his offense, he like puts an enormous amount of weight on it. He says, "Like, all right, now solve every problem for me." You know, no, the point is to solve the other problems, so let the good just be good. It's it's so frustrating. So I, I, yes, they could, but I don't believe they will because I don't believe the offensive coordinator is willing to make that choice.
0: I think the Chargers are really talented, and I th- I did feel like they found themselves those last few weeks. You could see it, and then of course he plays everybody last week. Mike oh Williams should have just been in a fire extinguisher case, like just surrounded by bubble wrap, <laughs> just out there just too. running yeah. pass routes. Um, Bosa seems like he got tweaked, but it seems like he's all right. The Mike Williams thing, it's like he's definitely going to play hurt. And yeah. whether he's 80, 90, whatever, that's and, a bummer, And everybody's but.
3: like, oh, well, it's like a back thing. And so like it's just about playing through the pain. Yeah, okay, well, what happens when Mike Williams does what Mike Williams always does, which is go up for an absurd contested catch where he's falling over and he's getting hit yeah. and he lands on his back? Like, I don't care how he feels... I'd snap one. I carry feels in snap 30 because uh, you're not going to be able to use him the way you want to use him if you're worried about him landing. That's all he does. It, it was negligent to have him on the field.
0: This feels like a... Kerbert is great. I don't think Lawrence is there yet, game. And that's why I yeah. keep going on the shot. I just don't think Lawrence is... They Even that Tennessee game, he had a couple throws and a couple drives or if he just does his job for eight plays in a row, the game's over. Remember that when he sailed it over the guy's oh, head, and as end zone? someone like, who
3: had yes, oh. Zay Jones to score a touchdown in that game, I yeah. distinctly remember that throw in third and goal. Uh, yeah, this to me feels like one of those games where like the camera and, and the boom mic is going to catch Herbert and Lawrence staffing it up at the end of like you know, Chargers win twenty eight seventeen, and it's going to catch Herbert being like, "You're doing a great kid. Like you got it next year. Like yeah. you're, you're on the way." Just like you know, Herbert kind of a year ahead on on the on the path, similar quarterback, similar some more styles. talent.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a world like Etienne could. ETN, I always screw up his name. Um, <laughs> but he could break a long one. I liked the way Christian Kirk's playing. I thought he was really good last week. It seemed yeah. like he was open a lot.
3: If the Chargers but, lose this, or if the Jaguars at least keep pace scoring a lot of points, it's because the Chargers aren't tackling, right? That, that's the one thing is, is Doug is going to put them in a spot where Etienne is fast and he has balance. Kirk is quick, right? Uh, uh, Evan Ingram is fast. Tackle him hit, you got to get him in space. Because if you don't, we're going to rip off yards after the catch. And that's where the Chargers, when they lose their stupid games, it's because all of their defensive backs like 190 pounds and can't tackle. So you're going to have to tackle guys when you get your hands on them. Otherwise, Doug will yak you all the way down the field.
0: Well, you know how you're the king of the 22-man film? Yeah. I am the king of noticing little quotes that I completely overrate because they get me excited (laughs) about how players feel about a team or a teammate.
3: Soundbite king. Soundbite king. Yeah, yeah.
0: Van Noy had a quote about Staley and I don't know whether it was like about whether Sean Payton McGower. it was some, some sort of something with the coach and he had this passionate paragraph long quote about what an awesome coach Brandon Staley is and it makes him mad and people don't realize he cares about every single person in this locker room. And I was like, that's a good sign. There's something mm-hmm. because this guy was supposed to be a defensive guru and their defense has been pretty bad the entire time he's been there. But yeah. at least like, if Van Noy is impressed by him, that I, I like that. Um, and I think the way they talk about Herbert as a team and as a coaching staff, it's like they they revere Herbert. Like you yeah. can every week you hear stuff like that guy is just he's a freak, he's amazing. Like it's all the stuff you want to hear if you're a great quarterback.
3: It uh we we got a a wild card entrance survey, right, for the NFL staff going up on the ringer. And one of the questions was like, what coach has the most to prove going into this playoffs? And it's unequivocally 100 mm. percent Brandon Staley. You you can't have these players, and particularly this quarterback, fail to make the playoffs last year, make it this year, and then lose to a a, a nine and eight Jaguars team. You can't. You like I I am as big of a Brandon Staley defender as you'll find. They, we prove the puddings in the eating. You cannot have a quarterback this good and not win playoff games. So it is. Huge they just can't beat themselves. The yeah. Just
0: don't beat yourselves. Just. Steer the ship, no dumb turnovers, no dumb fourth and one, fourth and one and a half where you run the fullback dive, none of that shit. All right, last game. By the way, a couple of gambling rules for that game. Okay. Um, discount, rule number nine, discount anything that happened the first five to six weeks of the season. Just throw that out and we're doing That's that here. Good. Rule number 12, beware of any team that celebrated the previous weekend's victory like it had won the Super Bowl. Um,
3: right, yeah, yeah.
0: borderline Jags. Like it was a little <laughs> like, all right, settle down, guys. You beat Josh Dobbs. He wasn't in the league yeah. 17 days ago. Like, nice win. Yeah. Congrats. When, they're, the when they're,
3: yeah, when they're cutting to Shad and Omar Khan and uh, Tony Khan and kind of you know having a big celebration with the owners.
4: Yeah,
0: like, okay, it's like, guys, yeah, there's, a, there's a game. Scale it back. Yeah, week 19's coming up. All right, last one. We have the Ravens and the Bengals, and I hate this line. Um, it looks like Huntley's playing. I don't know why the line isn't six. We're getting an extra four points with the Bengal with uh, Ravens here. It's plus 10. So this would violate rule number six. Never pick an underdog unless you genuinely believe that it has a chance to win. On the bright side, rule number 10. When in doubt, gravitate toward one pick that would screw over the most gamblers and experts and definitely go against the single worst gambler you know, which is a Bengals tease, which I think everybody <laughs> had this week. Right. Rule number 11 is don't talk yourself into a terrible QB ever for any reason. I don't think Huntley's terrible, but he's also not good. Huntley's stats are alarming. His yep. last seven games, they have not scored 20 points in any of the last seven starts he's had. Mm-hmm. Uh, 19, 13, 10, 16, 3, 17, and 13. Their thir- 23rd offense DV away without Lamar. They've only scored six touchdowns. There's a lot of reasons to think Bengals, Bengals, Bengals. Yeah. I am concerned about two things, Ben Solak. One... Division rivalry, the Ravens, it's just always 13-9 heading into the fourth quarter. Just always yeah. is. That's one. Should we be more concerned that the Bengals lost the right side of their line? Feels like that's something. That's, that's something. not nothing.
3: It's, it's certainly not nothing. Uh, the the Tyler Huntley stepping in for Lamar, and I agree that like he hasn't been terrible, but one of the things we have to remember is usually when backup quarterbacks enter offenses, there are existing pieces in place to help that man and that is not Not, the case in in Baltimore. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Huntley and Brown's games serve as such a stark reminder of how much this ship is built out of Lamar. This is Lamar busted. Greg Roman is not elevating. Even Mark Andrews who's like good just has his drops where you're like dude Come on, it's the backup. Like you have to catch it. This is killing us. They're cutting Deshaun Jackson to sign Sammy Watkins. That's as dire of straights as it gets Oof. in 2022. So, like, yeah, could Huntley like have a good enough game? Yes, but like the Ravens' offense itself isn't enough to to me like warrant any interest. What does warrant interest is this Ravens defense, as you say, against the uh, the Joe Burrow Bengals. Uh, Burrow has had five games this season with a negative EPA per dropbacks. So he's had five generally bad games throwing the football two of them have been against the Ravens week five which is in your five to six week stretch this doesn't really matter uh and then in week 18 where week 18 was by e-paper drop back his second worst game of of the season and this is what the Ravens the Ravens had Daryl Worley, Worley out there just didn't even know he was still in the league and he's playing outside corner and getting moshed by Jamar Chase right the Ravens hired a new DC this year Mike McDonald he was on their staff previously and he was a DC at Michigan and they they got rid of Wink Martindale. Martindale was all blitz man coverage, and Joe Burrow just ate that up, ate it alive. This year, it's fake the blitz. Occasionally, send a blitz, drop a guy into coverage. They play a ton of zone, and they have in in Roquan Smith, a player who really just ties everything together. Awesome got, trade.
0: They they oh. they fucking love Roquan Smith.
3: It, it is. It, I love the trade so much because one, I love Roquan. He's a great player and now he's in a really good defense and he's helping so much. And two, because the nerds hated it because it was a trade for a linebacker. Yeah, you can't. No, oh, that's yeah. the most overvalued position. And then right, and then they paid him $20 million and everybody's furious. No. Well, like how about went, the fact
0: that they got a second rounder and then wasted one on Chase Claypool? On oh, Chase Claypool. Like brilliant Bears trade. Uh, no, that's good.
3: Yeah. And the uh, Roquan, with, with, with Roquan off the field, their 30th in e-paper play allowed with him on the field, their first. They went from, like, 15th in DVOA defensively, like, second.
0: Oh, it, I, it, test, I test he's awesome. He's all over it's the
3: place. so very clear I, I, in yeah. terms of impact, range of the field that he occupies. And and also, critically, uh, being a rising tide, being a centerpiece, him playing Mike moves Patrick Queen out of Mike. And Patrick Queen, who's fast and physical and and, and aggressive and has a lot of good to him, is struggles with play recognition, struggles yeah. with ID, struggles with the mental aspect of the game. So you put rope in there. And then it knocks Patrick Queen to weak side. He's been much better, so much better since Roquan's gotten there. And because you have two linebackers on the field you like, you're now playing nickel all the time, which means Kyle Hamilton, your first round pick, he's played slot corner. He, he has been a, a primary slot corner for them since the Roquan trade. And he's an awesome slot corner because he's six foot four with a wingspan on the side of the Texas. He's right. got, he, Roquan ties everything together. They have played Burrow and the Bengals really well because they forced checkdowns. They they uh, they're able to pressure with four. They do some of the simulated pressure stuff. They can get a free rusher, right? Burrow struggles sometimes with that like pre snap to post snap rotation. So they can get a free rusher with four. They can move Burrow off of his spot, and then they can force checkdowns and they rally downhill and they tackle. Burrow's lowest depth of target this season by a mile was that Week Five game against the Ravens. So are the Ravens going to win? Absolutely not. No, There's, don't talk ourselves into it. It's not going to happen.
0: I don't think it's an absolutely not,
3: but but that thirteen to nine, like you said. I the, the total of this game is, I want to say, 40 and a half. I think that's too high. I think we're going to see a lower-scoring game. and I think it's because this Ravens defense is going to keep them in this game for a long, long, long time.
0: Reasons to be scared of Cincy. Too obvious for a tease. No right side of the offensive line. They've now lost Collins and Kappa, which is mm-hmm. a, a semi-disaster. Could the Ravens be in Fu mode with Lamar a little bit if he doesn't play? The the rest of the players like we don't need this guy. Let's go out and show oh, them we're yeah. not about Lamar. I see that, I see like that. It, nobody believed in us without Lamar. There's some, nobody believes in us with the Ravens um, since the Roquan trade, which we've been talking about. Their second DVOA against the rush, tenth against the pass. This is like a legitimately good defense. Yeah, and
3: the Bengals have not been running the ball well over the late well, of that season, especially the without Collins. Yeah, the
0: last couple weeks, Mixon's not been able to get through the line of scrimmage. Baltimore's losses this year, four points, three, four, one, ten, three, eleven. And FanDuel stats for the game so far. 85% of the money is on Cincinnati and 81% of the bets.
3: I I promised myself that I would only bet on the Ravens if Lamar was playing. And well, now me, we're I, here late this. Thursday and I want to do it.
0: <laughs> Neither of us think the Ravens can score 20 points in this game, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's, if they win, this is 19-16, 16-13, 13-10. It's Tucker versus McPherson, whatever. If you like the Bengals plus 10, why not put them with the under? Or why not do an adjusted under? Like adjust the under to like 46 and be like, I think the Bengals are going to keep this close and it's going to be an ugly low scoring game. Don't bet the plus 10 and not bet the under. This isn't going to be a 30-20 to type game. It's just not.
3: Yeah, and that's why, like, I personally like the under. That's what I, I purchased in the beginning of the week, and that's what I'll hold heading into the game. But when you have a a total as low as forty and a half at a ten point spread, and you like the under, by default, you like the dog a little bit. You like the dog to cover. The problem is the stat you brought up at the top it's, we don't see a lot of covers, no wins in the wild card round. Right? right. We usually see teams uh, land the plane if they're going to actually keep this thing close. And so,
0: yeah. But the rule with this stuff yeah. is if the line seems way off at some point you got to look. I I yeah. personally think the line should be without the right side of the Cincy offensive line and how good Ravens defense is played and how smart their coaching staff is and the Tucker yeah. factor, where if you're over the 39-yard line, you get three points. Mm-hmm. I just think it's going to be close. I don't care. Yeah. About that. It, Huntley could kill him, but that's really the only reason, whatever. They, they, they've been in these 13 to 16 games for three months now.
3: Yeah. The... uh i very, I very much think the Ravens cover. I'm not sure I'll put actual American dollars on it because I'm not sure mm. I will feel good about that in the month of January when Tyler Huntley is playing. But it's, it 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 is tempting. I think that if we see, a I, think a upset, sta- I think it's a, I think it's a stay
0: away. I think it's a let's yeah. be careful game. Personally, if
3: we see a shocking upset this week, you come back in the future and you tell me one of these huge favorites lost, I'd place a lot of chips that that team was was the Bengals losing to the Ravens, and what's going to be in a very emotionally charged game. These two teams were at each other for the entire Week 18 game and then still a little bit afterward. It's going yeah. to be hot.
0: Yeah. um, We're we're going to talk about the other two games with Danny and Raheem, but just quickly, who who do you like out of those next two in 10 seconds? Yeah.
3: I like the Giants to be the Vikings because I think the Giants are just better and the Vikings are not good. And then Cowboys-Bucks, I'm going to pick the Cowboys and I'm going to cover both my eyes with my hands and not take them off for 60 minutes. Ah, that's an ugly one.
0: Cowboys... To win the first half, Tampa to come back and win the game plus eight hundred on FanDuel.
3: Cowboys have had what is it? Or excuse me, Bucks have had like three comebacks in the last four games. The Cowboys like that. that was yeah. two
0: of their last three losses were just them yeah. choking in the last quarter of a game. Anyway, all right, Ben Solak, enjoy the football this weekend. Good to see you.
3: Yeah, thanks, appreciate it,
0: Bill. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others. Real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60 day money back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at slash BS. That is simply safe with two S, slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man. and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. All right, my favorite two games of the week are Bucks-Cowboys and Giants-Vikings. So brought two people in who are intimately familiar with some of the teams in those games. Danny Heifetz, who you can hear on the Ringer NFL show, um, and the Ringer Fantasy football show. Diehard Giants fan. Also, NFC East student. (laughs) And then you have our guy Raheem Palmer from the Ringer Gambling Show, who is uh, from Philly, but a Dallas Cowboys fan. So also intimately familiar with the NFC. So we'll start. Let's start with Giants Vikes, because I love the Giants to the point that I almost want to be talked out of it. They seem too obvious to me. I watched that entire Giants-Vikings game because I had the Giants game. I had the Giants 24-16, dramatic, fourth and one, Barkley touchdown. They get the two-point. They end up covering even though the Vikings won. But I felt like they were toe-to-toe and maybe even better than them. Danny, you must have watched that game. Did you feel like they were better than the Vikings in that game? Yeah. I mean, look, the
2: Kirk Cousins should have threw three picks and the Giants only lost by three points. It's like the Giants dropped two picks from Kirk and then they dropped, they picked them off and then it could call back for a penalty. But Giants fit, like the Giants played really well in that game. I think it's a little scary as a Giants fan to hear that like everyone, gambling-wise, wants to bet on the Giants. Like that makes me scared. But if I didn't know that, this is the game that Giants fans wanted. Like Giants fans wanted to play the Vikings. They matched up three weeks ago, and Giants fans watched that. We're like, we're better than them. And nothing's changed my mind, honestly,
0: this week. What do you think, Raheem?
4: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, when I look at my motto, my motto actually makes this game vikings minus 2.89 so it's right on the dial and when you look at that first game the giants actually outgained them by almost 100 yards i think it was they they put up 440 yards of offense and it's like they kind of got whatever they wanted so it's just they just made a couple mistakes danny jones um he had some turnovers in the red zone but i like the giants in this spot it wasn't my, I
0: watch football every week and it all blends together, but one was one bad, one of Danny Dimes' only bad picks of the year, and then the other one was, somebody was running for like 40 yards and the ball got punched from behind. Wasn't in Bellinger? Yeah, it was Those
2: were Daniel Bellinger. Yeah, so Daniel Bellinger's their tight end and he just got like, it was a really impressive play, honestly, but the defender just kind of like chopped it right out of his arm. Yeah. But again, the Giants just played really well in that game. Daniel Jones was put, throwing pretty well to the outside, but also Brian Dable just had a great game plan for them. And honestly, like, if any, if I'm concerned about anything, it's the Giants blitzing too much. I talked about this with Steven on the NFL show this week. Because actually, the Giants actually w- were better when they weren't blitzing. And that's when Kirk threw all those picks that the Giants like, should have actually been able to get. But ju- on the plays, that the Giants basically blitzed like half the time. On the plays the Giants blitzed, Justin Jefferson had like six catches for five first downs and 93 yards. I really would prefer if the Giants just bracket Justin Jefferson and dare right. anyone to beat him. It's like TJ Hawkins and mm-hmm. stuff. Hawkins had like 15 targets or something because the Giants have the worst linebackers in the league. But that's it. That's all the Vikings got. And so I, I let Kirk Cousins sit in the pocket.
4: Like we, the Giants have good pass rush. Oh, I got to push back on that a little bit because, I mean, we've consistently seen Kirk Cousins struggle against the blitz. I mean, I think when he's blitzed. That is true. His- His passer rating goes from, like, 72 to, like, 51. And the one caveat I want to add here is the injury to right tackle Brian O'Neill. You know, um, that's huge. So it's just, like, I think Kayvon Thibodeau is going to have a huge day. And if they can get the Cousins, like, the sky's the limit for the Giants in this game.
0: I want to talk about the Minnesota offensive line. But, Danny, what is the Thibodeau? Where are we we hitting with the Giants fans now? Like, how nuts are people going? Because he's been absolutely dominant jumping out of the TV now for like five weeks inside
2: Kayvon Thibodeau's head I think he is going to be the most famous person in the entire world I think like <laughs> look, I got to go to the Giants Washington game because I live in DC I I have never been I like whatever people think of Odell in cave on Thibodeau's mind he is certain he will be a bigger star than Odell Beckham like I think he's the most confident person I've ever met in my life uh, he's also really good. Again, this is Kevin Thibodeau was supposed to be the number one player in the entire draft. And then, for reasons unknown, he just fell down, and teams honestly didn't like his. I don't know if it was personality or what. He's incredible. The Giants had a whole subterfuge kind of smoke screens around the draft for him to even fall to them. He's been incredible. Yeah. Dexter Lawrence, Solak mm-hmm. had him as first team all pro. And then Aziz Ajilari, actually, a lot of the Dave Gettleman draft picks are panning out. They're also getting back Xavier McKinney, from Al, who uh, I think the Giants took him instead of who the Patriots take.
0: I don't. So th- the I don't want to talk, we're we're not invading. talking about the Patriots today.
2: <laughs> but like, he was the defensive captain. McKinney broke his hand ATVing on the bye week, but he's back now. He missed that Vikings game. The Giants have been the least healthy team other than the Ravens all season. Now they're healthy in the Vikings. Either the Vikings can going to have a third string center or, like, yeah. you know, their first string center will be back after like a month without practicing or something. So the Giants have health on the side and. and- Honestly, the Vikings, they're like TCU, man. I, I just, I, this team's, this is a house of cards. They're going to, it's like my cousin Vinny, like the card, you're looking <laughs> at the right angle, like that's
0: this week. Well, Raheem, we talked about, you mentioned the Vikings offensive line, so they lose their right tackle for the year. The backup, Blake Brandle, he's sprained his knee. He's questionable whether he's even going to play. The backup is injured. Their center's had two concussions this year. That seems, that's, or not their center, their uh, left tackle, Darisha. Mm-hmm. Um He's had two concussions already this year, so he's been banged up. And then the center, Bradbury, he's questionable. They think he's going to play. The backup center's out because he broke his leg. I bet on them two weeks ago when all of a sudden their third string center was out there and the entire line collapsed like an accordion. And I really think the Giants between the blitzing and Thibodeau being like, I'm going to be the most famous person in the world after this weekend, those two things, I think the Giants can get after Kirk, right? And then you're betting on Kirk Under siege, which we've all been in that betting position. There's nothing less fun than Kirk Cousins under siege when you have money on him.
4: Oh yeah, without without a doubt. I mean, I just I just think there's too many things that the Giants can do right in this matchup. Now, obviously, you have to worry about Justin Jefferson on the other end. But what have we seen from the Vikings all year long? They win one score games. Like they, like they're they're on a heater right now. They're the guy at the crap table who just hit, you know. Or the guy at the roulette table who's hit ten blacks in a row. Um, right. At some point, as I always say, there's only so long fake does can pretend. And you know this this Vikings team is thirteen and four with a, a Pythagorean expectation of eight games. So this is this is a team. Did you see that was e- the
0: record? Yeah, there, it was a four point six difference between the real win and Pythagorean, which is like by far the record. It was like one plus more. And then the other thing,
2: they're literally the luckiest team of all time. Yeah, the I, luckiest we of all can't that time. enough.
0: Also, yeah. <laughs> out of the, all the playoff teams since 1981, this is on Football Outsiders, they are the ninth worst DVOA team. They're 27th for the season. Ninth worst ever. And the other eight teams that were actually worse than them, um, you had three of them lost in the wildcard game and then the other five lost in the division game. So the lifespan of this is round one or round two and you have to go home. When all the advanced stats are this bad, Danny. I,
2: to put that, in I like Raheem's analogy with roulette, because let's just say instead of a football team winning all these close games, you were a person at the roulette table who had just won 10 in a row. The casino would be doing everything humanly possible to get you to stay at the table. They'd be like, we'll copy room. Here's all these meal vouchers. Like they give you everything because they know you're going to lose. and Give it back. It's like the Vikings were a person. Get up, walk away. Keep your, their money in your pocket.
0: Yeah. Well, the other thing with them, well, the minus nineteen point differential, which is just iconic, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then Raheem, I to me the Giants, I was hoping this would be the matchup. You love boxing, yeah. The Giants are like the Philly fighter that nobody—they're not that good, but nobody wants to fight them, and people keep passing up opportunities to have fights with them, and they and they have a better record than they would, but then every time they fight somebody, they might lose but it's 12 rounds and the other guy has a fractured orbital bone and they're weird and they're lefty and they're kind of like bobbing and doing weird shit. I don't want to play the giants in the playoffs. They're too
4: unorthodox. They're too weird. They're, they're the drunken master, Emmanuel Augustus. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you look at like a guy like Daniel Jones, it's like his ability to scramble and make plays on the move. is just incredible. Um, you know, one stat I want to give you is that Daniel Jones is actually better on the road. If you look at him throughout his entire mm. career, he's 17 and five against the spread. That's 77% as a role underdog in his career. Wow. So if there's a spot that you want to back Daniel Jones, it's on the road. Heifetz, we
0: we texted a lot about this. I my thing is you have to give up on the QB after two years, three years max. If it's not there, it's not there. It's like a relationship. If you're on 10 dates with somebody and there's no spark, like stop taking the person out. In in dimes' case. The dayball renaissance and just dayball coming into his life seems to be like almost a black swan event. It's, it's turned him into a guy that I am afraid to bet against and I'm comfortable betting on, which I've never have guessed in a million years. Do you root for him? What's it been like to root for him?
2: The exact same way. I was as pessimistic as you could find a Giants fan on Danny Dimes. I used to worry, like, never mind his pocket awareness. I used to worry for him just crossing the street, like, looking both ways. I was like, "Will you see a truck coming? But you're right. I, I, like, was out on him, and I had the same thing. I was, like, it's a relationship. You know, you feel it or you don't. But honestly, it just took a long time. It's like the Harry Met Sally of quarterbacking. I guess oh. maybe that's Geno Smith. No, that's good. But, no, I like, but, I like it for Danny Dimes. It's better. But I, I, he, he, against all, and really, I didn't want to believe this about him. He's become the heart and soul of the team. He's the ethos. When Brian Damble came in, he was like, the Giants will be smart, tough, dependable. That has been Daniel Jones. And honestly, if they want to get, there's no one they could possibly replace him with this offseason within reason that would be better. Like, you got to bring him back. He's been everything that has possibly been asked of him.
0: Yeah. Well, the Giants, I think, are better coached. I think the luck thing has to turn at some point. From a gambling manifesto standpoint, rule number six Never pick an underdog unless you genuinely believe they have a chance to win. I genuinely believe the Giants can win. And I actually think this line, it's three right now. I think it will go to two and a half or two by game time. So grabbing the three right now on a Thursday is great.
2: What does the
0: gambling manifesto say about when both teams genuinely believe
2: nobody believes in them?
0: Then it just cancels out. It's a wash. I have a new rule that I was thinking about adding. We'll see how it goes. Um, you can't dismiss the super nerd evidence when it's absolutely overwhelming, and in this case, there's so much super nerd evidence against Minnesota that at some point you just have to. I mean, the the game that beat Giants they had a 61 yard field goal, right? Greg Joseph, who we've all bet on and lost with or had some sort of bad experience with, but he knit, happened to nail that one. At some point, that stuff runs out, and you know, if I'm a Giants fan or a Giants better. The guy that's just the guy. I'm just like, oh shit! I we never accounted for this, but I knew it was a problem. It's just Jefferson. If he just is open for four quarters, like it was that other game, but I don't know why they wouldn't at least try something a little different with him this game, right? At like double him, like have do the thing where you have the one guy in the front and the one guy back, but just don't let him beat you if you don't have to, because other than that, I think you can I think you can pressure him. Maybe you went up to Blitz as much. Martindale, do you think he's just like so Blitz happy he would never not do anything other than that?
2: Yeah, Wink Martindale is, I, I don't know if you're a Harry Potter guy, Bill, but Wink Martindale is like uh, Mad-Eye Moody in Harry Potter. He's just like an absolute crazy person. And honestly, I feel like as good as Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator, have been, I, I like their whole just adapting throughout the season and just doing what works, I'm a little worried that Wink Martindale just loves the Blitz. They've toned it down a little, but... yeah. He might be too aggressive, but honestly, you know what? To your point, a, a center that either hasn't played in a month or a third string, a right tackle, a banged-up left tackle, again, with Kirk Cousins and Come if anything, him. if he's yeah. just throwing at Jefferson or Hawkinson under heat, it's like that's more opportunity for them to jump the picks. So I, I trust this coaching staff more than I've trusted the Giants coaching staff in a decade.
0: I do too. What's your biggest fear of a Giants plus three, Raheem?
4: Mm. I have the biggest fear of... Probably, you know, the Vikings winning on like a last-second touchdown or something like that. That's like probably, Vikings win by four? Yeah, like I, I think this is a one-score game. So I think, <laughs> you're safe, I think you're safe teasing this. Like, I mean, I do think this is probably a higher-scoring game, so that, that kind of scares me a little bit. But I think if you tease, you know, you get those key numbers of, of six and seven, I, I think you're in a good spot teasing that from three to nine. Hyphens Vikings, 30th special
0: teams, DVOA. Can you make a special teams play? Do you have one in you? Is there anybody, any sort of ace on the special teams side?
2: Well, it's the other way around. The Vikings got the block kick in the last game. They blocked a the punt and they recovered all the turnovers. So if anything, it's coming the Giants way. Um, G- the Giants got the, the Scottish hammer. their punter.
0: Like that guy. All right. I like the Vikings plus three. All right. So that's one. Mm-hmm. The other one, Cowboys bucks. And you could make a case either way. You could totally talk yourself into, holy shit. Tom Brady, he did it again. It seemed like he was done. We didn't even think he was going to get in the playoffs, who clearly has had a rabbit up his ass for a few weeks now. And is looking at a snare where if he just beats Dallas, who knows? Now we're taking it one day at a time. The only team that they probably cannot beat is San Francisco. Raheem, the way Philly's playing that... I, I don't know. Could they go in there and throw the ball around and kind of hang around against a semi-injured Jalen Hurts? What do you think?
4: I don't think so. I, I'm just okay. not a believer in this Bucks team this year. Well, I'm I mean, not either. Like, this is a team that's four and twelve against the spread this season, and the market just <laughs> loves it. And so it's just like <laughs> right. I just I don't really understand it.
0: Dan, you hate Tom Brady. Go ahead. Can
4: I tell you guys something? I don't care about any of that. I
2: I have as a Giants fan, and Bill, I sorry to open some wounds, but I. I've rooted against Tom Brady like basically my entire adult life. I don't understand what's happening. Like if you could go back a year and just tell people that people would once again be counting Tom Brady out in the playoffs, I understand the Bucks have been abysmal to watch this season. Like they're awful, but yeah. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. They're playing the Cowboys who have done nothing but choke in the playoffs for 20 years. And Tom Brady has just pulled out three of the quietest, most unbelievable comebacks in the last month. They looked ugly, but he, all these double digit comebacks. And I'm like, If it happens, it'll be
4: the most obvious thing to happen in hindsight. You know what my favorite, one of my favorite quotes is, and I always say this because there's very few people who are a bigger Tom Brady fan than me. I always say Tom Brady is like Alonzo from training day. You give him 18 months, he'll give you a career. I don't know if he could give Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich a career right now because what they're doing right now is malpractice. And I don't just,
0: what I heard is that Brady kind of took over the offense during that last game. Interesting. The, the Carolina game. Because if you noticed, all of a sudden Mike Evans is just, yeah. you know. Anyway, they're, so there's six and nine in their last 15, to Raheem's point about the spread. They beat Atlanta by six in week five. In week nine, they beat the Rams 16 to 13 on the last drive. Week 10, they beat Seattle overseas by five. Week 13, they beat New Orleans. They had two touchdowns in the last two drives and what that was a miracle. Week 16, they came back, beat Arizona in OT. Arizona was, couldn't wait to fire everybody. Week 17, they're down 11 to Carolina in the fourth quarter. They score 20 in the fourth quarter, come back from 11 and they win. In their last five wins, Heifetz, they've scored 93 points total, 64 in fourth quarter at overtime. And there's a FanDuel bet that you could bet Uh, Dallas in the first half, but Tampa to win the game, plus 800. I I I like too. (laughs) I feel like that's the only scenario that they (laughs) they win, right? They're down 10-0, 13-3, and then all of a sudden it's like, here comes Tom Brady. Wait, are we doing this?
2: I had the same thing. It's bet the Cowboys to win the first half, Bucks to win the game. I completely agree. And again, Bill, you watched for like almost 20 years. Tom Brady made his career in part by taking teams that are undisciplined, poorly coached in situational football. Hey, and just... I know what no, you're no, doing. Come well, on. No, 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 you're saying, no, I'm saying the co- that's on. the Cowboys. I'm saying the Cowboys. Oh, like... oh,
0: beating those teams. I thought you were just like taking a Belichick drive by. I don't know. I had to defend oh, my guy. Man. I know I, I think know that he's... you're
2: officially back to the Boston sports fan you were like 25 years ago where you're just like, I think the subconscious.
0: <laughs> no, the Patriots. not true. Not true. The Celtics and Bruins are doing great. We we we're We're doing okay. But yeah, Belichick, I'm a little I was talking about the about. Cowboys,
2: and your brain went to the Patriots. There's I know. Well, I, I, I thought
4: you, already. I heard bad
0: coaching. I thought it was a Belichick.
2: Yeah, y- y'all, y'all, don't, y'all,
4: don't, y'all don't want me to get started on Jeff Fisher with a hoodie. <laughs> Stop it. I've heard <laughs> you say that, Raheem. I hate that. Come on. He won six Super Bowls. <laughs> I, I know. It's, 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 I got to exaggerate because I'm a time guy. Um, the Patriots media yeah. needs to band
2: together like the White House press corps and just keep asking, why did you make Matt Patricia the <laughs> offensive coordinator until <laughs> we get an answer?
0: It's, it almost felt like a sabotage. Dallas has scored 55 touchdowns this season and Tampa has scored 32. That seems alarming. Um, <laughs> the uh, Dallas is seventh in DVOA, Tampa is 16th. Tampa has a terrible special teams. They're second to last in DVOA. I think top five worst coach team I watched this year. I don't even know Bowles. I never saw him move. He just sits there with his arms crossed at the and he just seems confused the entire time no matter what's happening. Um, Raheem, this Dallas team, you're down a couple cornerbacks. Mm. There's a Mike Evans piece to this where there's a FanDuel bet. It's plus 631. You could bet Dallas to win Mike Evans over 64 and a half and Evans scores a TD. I see no scenario where Tampa wins this game without Mike Evans having one long pass, which is where you're susceptible. Would Mike Evans, is that the guy you'd be afraid of in this game? Oh, yeah.
4: I'm absolutely terrified. I mean, since we lost Anthony Brown, we just I mean, that other side is just it's it's piss poor right now. And like we signed Xavier Rhodes. I don't know what we're going to get from him at this point. And the one thing about Trayvon Diggs is that he gets interceptions, but he always gives one up. So I think you got to be afraid of you got to be afraid of him.
0: What's your take as a as a Cowboys hater, Heifetz, just of what you've seen from them this year?
4: My take is that they got
2: absolutely whooped by Washington and Sam Howell last weekend in his first career start by a team that whose coach didn't even know they could be eliminated the week earlier. <laughs> the only, the only quarterbacks they've beaten are backups and quarterbacks who've been benched. I mean, they, Josh Dobbs and the Titans, congratulations. Like the Dak Prescott has, what? 11 picks in his last seven games. Dak Prescott's coming off the worst game of his career. And again, Sam Howell's first career start, the Cowboys needed that game. And so I, I I, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Did they, did they need before. the
0: game? Did they need well, it? The Eagles,
2: the Giants were competitive with the Eagles. If the, the Giants beat, the I know, Eagles, but you
0: were playing friggin' Davis yeah. Webb. Like that, that, that game was. That game, that game was over. Come on, that yeah, that, come it, on. It was
2: disheartening though. Like you, you listen to the Cowboys after the game, and they were like, Micah Parsons is talking about, well, we got to get our stuff together. And I, I guess I look at this game, and I'm like, <laughs> aside one, I, Tom Brady's getting points as a home underdog, and two, I think that. It's underrated how much I think Tom Brady could adjust his style for the playoffs. I think that, Bill, you always talked about Gronk, them taking him out of his garage or out of the garage and running him in the playoffs. It's like the problem with the Bucks' offense, other than Leftwich running it, was Brady didn't want to get hit. The line is bad. Brady was getting the ball quick. Yeah. So they were terrible. Mm-hmm. And so you get stats like the Bucks have two third and long conversions since Thanksgiving. They're like two for 36 on third and long since Thanksgiving. But that, I feel like Brady knows the difference between third and nine. I'm going to get creamed. In like October and third and nine, I'm gonna get creamed in the wild card round. I think he's gonna be way more willing to sit in the pocket, get creamed, but get the ball downfield to Mike Evans because the Cowboys' yeah. quarterbacks have become mm-hmm. more of a liability than they were earlier in the season. And I kind of think that changes everything. And I guess my question is, how long do you need to see the Bucks' offense looking different till you're like,
0: oh shit, the Bucks are gonna win the Super
1: Bowl?
4: Like a quarter and a half. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm I, I'm not getting there with Todd Bowles and Byron <laughs> Leftwood. Yeah,
4: I'm I'm not I'm not getting there at all. I I just think when you look at this Tampa offense, they're dead last EPA play when running on first down. Yeah, they, they can't constantly run. They can't run. That's they the problem. Run. 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 their, their
0: centers, their centers hurt too, right? They lost their yes. starting center, and yeah. then the backup center Hainsey, might play. He's got a, he hurt his hamstring last week. It's like so. Again, the third string center, I don't know. Like, I just feel like centers are important. It's one of my crazy, crazy uh, opinions, Raheem.
4: I, I think a, a big part of this is we got to see the final interview report. We don't know what's going on with Donovan Smith and, and Tristan Worth. I think they may be playing, but I don't think Ryan Jensen is going to be playing. I mean, I think they said he practiced, but I, I just doubt that he's playing. So I expect the Cowboys' pass rush to be able to get there. And I mean, Tom has been getting the ball out quick, but. I mean, we all know that you can you can pressure time up the, up the middle, and it causes problems. So, I don't know. I think this game is about the assumption of rational coaching. If the Bucks go out there and pass on early downs, then maybe they win this game. But if they don't, then it's a long day for that offense. Is it possible
0: Dallas is really good, and we're just overrating what happened the last couple of weeks? I mean, they did go. They lost their first game, then they went twelve and three. They lost to Philadelphia. No shame in that. That game was pretty close. They had two really stupid o- overtime losses to Jacksonville and Green Bay that they blew both games. Both of them were ridiculous, and for the most part, like it is the Cowboys. All the eyeballs are on them at all times. Every time something bad happens, everybody goes nuts. And I don't know. It's I I, I I'm just looking at this. Like I couldn't wait to bet against Tampa in the playoffs, even with Brady, just because I think they're so bad and so limited. That Carolina game. That game was over. If Carolina was just able to have Sam Darnold just make a couple throws in the fourth quarter. The game's done. It's a wrap. And they couldn't do that. And I just wonder, like... Congratulations, this, Bill. And-
2: that's how it felt to root against Tom Brady for, like, the last 20 <laughs> years. Like, everyone's Fair. done this. Maybe you just haven't seen the other side. Can you just close your eyes for a second and imagine being on the phone with Sal after you bet on the Cowboys to beat Tom Brady and Tom Brady came back and beat you? Like, what? you know what I mean? Right. No,
0: but maybe that's my destiny with this whole thing. <laughs> I My question... I guess like if Tampa loses, it's going to go badly, right? And Dallas is a team that's blown some people out of the water. But I keep going back to like that San Francisco game. What was that? 35 to seven. That game was done. It was like a mismatch of talent. And maybe that's how this goes here. I'm going to do something rare with million dollar picks. I'm going to wait till Sunday night to pick this game. Mm -hmm. I want it's four days away. I don't want to pick it now. Um, I want to know more about the injury report. But I got to say I'm leaning Dallas. Especially with the two and a half, I I think. What does your model have this at rain? I have this the Cowboys minus four and a half. Yeah, that's it. Feels to me like a four and a half to five, and just Brady being in the game is worth two points, and that's McCarthy and the Dallas, the Dallas DNA, and just things that have nothing to do with the actual matchup. Um, but it seems the, the, the I, line seems
4: too low. The one thing I will say is that Dak is just he's struggling so hard, and yeah, when you look at like. He, they, they say he's, he's eighth in EPA per play, um, and completion over expectation. But look at the, te- the the games that he's played. You know, games against the Lions, the Packers, the 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 Bears, the Giants, the the Colts, the Texans. Uh, I mean, like these teams aren't very good teams defensively, and he's still going out there and throwing interceptions and, and struggling. So, this is a tough one. I'm gonna be honest with you, but I just think I'm gonna play my number. I, I trust my number on this. I think this is probably the public dog of the week, if you ask me.
0: Heifetz, if you, if, if, if uh, you beat the Vikings, you get the Eagles in round two, barring an incredible Geno Smith upset of the Niners, which I think, the, I don't know what scenario that would happen, but the Giants kind of feel like they could beat the Eagles and the Giants fans kind of feel like they could go in there and do some stuff. Correct?
2: Yes. The Giants, I know Brian Dable said we're not playing with house money. The Giants are playing with house money. I don't care. This is just like a pure joy. I mean, a year, literally a year ago, the Giants were running quarterback sneaks on third and nine because they were afraid of taking a safety. And within a year, they've made the playoffs. Like this was supposed to be a rebuild. They're just immediately. It was just a retool. They immediately found the right coach, the right GM, and then turns out Daniel Jones like was the right quarterback in plain sight. I, this is already like such a successful season. I, I mean, even if you added the Vikings win, it would just be joy to play the Eagles.
0: Raheem, that Heifetz was one of the people that talked me out of the Giants over before the season. I could have been twenty five six and one against the against the over unders instead. Well, they lost their top one. four
2: receivers. In it was, August it was
0: you and Justremski, and I was like, I like the Giants. I don't know, easy schedule, and you guys are like, no, no.
4: I came on I came on this show, and I said I love the Giants. You did t- to make the playoffs. I just felt like Ryan Day-Bull was just. I mean, he's that guy. So
0: well, we had we had we went from judge to dayball in in four months. And Judge goes to the Pats. I don't know what his responsibility was of the Pats, but he was part of the Pats mess. Giants fans hated Judge. And now Dayballs, I compared him. I, I feel like there's some Parcells kind of magic. Early Parcells, early 80s Parcells. You weren't alive for that, Heifetz, but just this coach that comes in and transforms everything. It's pretty cool. He, yeah, he's not Parcells
2: in like the, the disciplinarian vibe, but like I think Brian Dayball, no. I will say, mm. I don't know how many coaches in NFL history would look more natural at a tailgate outside the game. It looks like he just wandered under the sideline, especially <laughs> he's got the goatee now. Uh, I, but they it's been transformative, and also I think that you know the fact that the Giants went from Jason Garrett, who looks like a mannequin on the the like yeah the Sunday and a smiling NBC mannequin, show, looks like he's made yeah. of like a plastic. The I mean, the Giants under Jason Garrett, they were outscored. I think the year before this year, seventy nine to zero in the final two minutes of the two minute warning. Which is impossible. And now you see what the worst coaching possible looks like to the best. And that's been the whole season. So, I, that's, and that, and again, the thread between these two games, I think, Raheem, you nailed it. Mm-hmm. The injury reports coming out because we're recording this Thursday, the injury reports, both the Vikings and the Bucks are looking at like maybe a third string center, possibly. And then both teams having like injuries at the tackles, the Cowboys have injuries. I think that that is very important considering how important pass rush is. To affecting Brady, to affecting
4: Kirk, and, and making Dax brain malfunction.
0: Raheem Giants twenty four to one on Fanduel to win the NFC. Oh
4: no, nah, don't do it.
0: <laughs>
4: I'm don't do it. I'm just relaying I, the information. I'm not saying I'm betting. I'm just saying twenty four to one. I'm, I, I'm, I'm gonna take my Giants playoff money and I'm um you know quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> Here's Go the, the twenty
2: four to face. one NFC. Just do fifty to one for the Super Bowl.
0: Here's the ro- Well, you're not winning the Super Bowl. Here's the road. Yeah. You win this person. game. You win this game. Oh, I I see the little smug smile on your face, Seifetz. <laughs> you win this game. You go into Philly. Philly hasn't looked good in a month. Shocker, you beat them. And then Dallas beats San Francisco. And now you get to play Dallas, who you also know you can beat. It would be all teams you know you can beat three in a row. You're not beating San Francisco 10 out of 10 times, I don't think. That Probably be the not, run.
2: but like, look, the, the Giants made the Super Bowl in 2011 because they played the 49ers in the in the NFC Championship game, and they were a huge underdog. And then the Niners fumbled two punt returns, and like weird stuff happens in football. Right. And yeah. at the end of the day, the Giants have coaching. They have coaching, and they knock on wood. I don't want to say this out loud here. The, I'm not going to say what I was going to say about turnovers. All I'll say is the Giants are very well coached. And I, how many teams every year lose because they're not well coached?
0: Always like the coach Def- and the QB who at least doesn't make mistakes. So we'll see if dimes can do that. I like the Giants Plus thing. We're going to talk about a Million Dollar Picks in a second. Raheem, thank you. Heifetz, thank you. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I understand that some things you just want to keep private. Maybe it's something you don't want anyone to know, or maybe you think it's something minor, so why bother? But if you keep everything bottled up, if you let those emotions sit there and fester, it could be really, really bad from you. Sometimes it depends on what kind of family you're from. Like my dad's family is one of those. They bottle everything up, bottle everything up. And then they all just get mad at each other. Listen, talking things through is more helpful than you think. If you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend some therapy. Think about the things you can get out of therapy. First of all, a sounding board, you can learn better coping skills. You can learn how to set some boundaries. Maybe how to empower yourself a little better day to day. And if you want to give therapy a try, well, I have an answer. BetterHelp. A convenient and flexible way since so entirely online right now. It's easy to get started too. You can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Bill Simmons today to get 10% off your first month. That is com slash Bill Simmons. 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, we're gonna do million dollar picks in a second. Wanted to go through the playoff gambling manifesto really quickly. As you know, my dream has been to go 11 and 0 on my picks during the playoffs. It's never happened. Now there's more games. I guess now it'd be 12 and 0, but regardless. The Playoff Gambling Manifesto, I first wrote this on my old website. I've been tinkering with it ever since. Here are all the rules. I'll just go through them fast. Rule number one, beware of the looked a little too good the previous round team. We mentioned that's basically the Jags since last week was a playoff team uh, game. Rule number two, don't bet against God, puppies, and gambling theories from Pakistan. Um, thats You have to go back to my 2008 or 2009 page two column and that will make sense. But it was Kurt Warner related. Rule number three, beware of the nobody believes in us team, but don't try to talk yourself into one either. Keep that in mind as we get to Bengals-Ravens. Rule number four, beware of any team that might use a major off-field distraction as a galvanizing force leading up to a big playoff game. I don't think we need to even mention who that is. Rule number five, beware of the everybody believes in us team and the nobody believes in our QB but us team. This was the Niners last year when they all kind of rallied behind Jimmy G. That team has not emerged yet this year, but keep an eye on that just in case. Like if Tyler Huntley somehow wins in week one or whatever, round one, whatever happens. Rule number six, never pick an underdog unless you genuinely believe it has a chance to win. Rule number seven, beware of all dome teams playing outdoors, especially in cold weather. We don't have to deal with that this week. Rule number eight, Beware of any and all aging QBs in cold weather unless they drink half their body weight and water every day, get 10 hours of sleep, master every conceivable pliability exercise, have lots of sex with a supermodel wife, don't drink alcohol, don't eat inflammatory foods, don't smoke or do drugs, and probably become faster in their late 30s and basically behave like an alien. I feel like that rule's off the table now. Brady's divorced. I don't know what's going on with him. Uh, We'll just put that rule on pause. Rule number nine, severely discount anything that happened the first five or six weeks of the season. Rule number 10, when in doubt, gravitate toward one pick that would screw over the most gamblers and experts and would definitely go against the single worst gambler you know. That is any kind of tease with the Bengals in it. The Bengals line has moved up basically from like six and a half, seven, it's all the way to 10 now. Everybody's got them in Moneyline parlays. The most obvious 10 point three team teaser of all time is people going Dolphins against Skyward, Thompson, Niners, Seahawks, and then the Bengals as the third team. Just be careful. Rule number 11, don't ever talk yourself into a terrible QB ever for any reason. Skylar Thompson, for example. Rule number 12, beware of any team that celebrated the previous weekend's victory like it had just won the Super Bowl. That's that's kind of a awful rule number one, but not totally. There's two types of versions of that. One is like, oh my God, I can't believe we won. Get to the next round, they get crushed. The other is, oh my God, that team looked incredible. Holy shit, can they win it all and then they lose the next week. Rule number thirteen: Before you wager on a team, make sure Marty Schottenheimer, Herm Edwards, Wade Phillips, North Turner, Andy Reid, Dan Quinn, John Fox, Jason Garrett, anyone named Mike, anyone described as Andy Reid's pupil, and anyone with the last name Mora isn't its head coach. Might have to add some names to that. Todd Bowles might have to join that exciting fray after uh, round one if they lose to Dallas. But uh, keep an eye on that rule. Rule number 14, beware of any team that reminds you of the 2007 Giants. We actually have the Giants, as as the 2023 Giants. Rule number 15, make sure the team with a home field advantage actually has a home field advantage. Probably the Jaguars are a good candidate for that. Uh, We watched Josh Dobbs almost go in there and win. Rule number 16, take one last look at the quarterbacks. And remember, there's plenty of time to bet against any QB or coach. And then rule number 17, don't try to be a hero. Just try to win money. Those are the gambling manifesto rules that we're going into 2023 with and we are going to do right now the million dollar picks for round one. We are up $11,000 after winning $900,000 of fake money in week 18. I told you we'd be in the positive. We scrapped our way back. It's a, it's a little humiliating to only be up $11,000 but at the same time, hilarious. Uh, Round one, we are putting $500,000 on three games that I really like. The first one is the Chargers minus two and a half against the Jaguars. It seems like Mike Williams is playing. I just think this line should be three or higher. I think the Chargers have more talent. I think there's a strong case to be made that the Jaguars kind of won their playoff game last week against Josh Dobbs, who, by the way, almost beat them and could have beaten them. And Trevor Lawrence left a lot of throws on the table. I think the Jags just get into round one as their victory. The Chargers have a chance if they can stay healthy and if Brandon Staley can stop getting their players hurt and they can stop shooting themselves in the foot and they can unleash Herbert. They they have a chance to win a couple playoff games here and they should be able to get through this. I know the Chargers history. I like the minus two and a half and not the three. That half point is basically, and I don't trust the Chargers half point. This is a quarterback game to me. It's Herbert, it's Lawrence. It's at some point going to be mano-a-mano, and, mono, and I just think the the Chargers have more firepower. I like the way they've play, been playing the last few weeks. And I think there's a chance this could resemble that Lions game when the Lions just killed the Jaguars a few weeks ago. So I don't think the Jags can kill the Chargers, but I think the Chargers could kill the Jags. Either way, I like it. Chargers minus two and a half, that's one. Giants plus three, that's the next one. We just talked about that with Raheem and Danny. I watched that game a few weeks ago when the Giants almost won. They lost in overtime in a 61-yard field goal in Minnesota. It felt like they were the better team. They got a buck punt in that game. They had two dumb turnovers. They still almost won. They moved the ball. Um, whether they can defend Hawkinson and Jefferson this time, we'll see. But I like the Giants. I think they're just weird to play. I think they're incredibly well coached. And Minnesota, by any metric, as we covered in one of the previous segments, is the... Most unlikable team for the football nerds that anyone has ever put together. Every metric they have screams run from this Minnesota team. So we're going to take the Giants plus three. And then the last one for $500,000 is going to be the Cowboys minus two and a half with a caveat. I am, that game's not until Monday. I'm recording with Cousin Sal on Sunday night and I'm potentially going to avoid this if anything weird happens with injuries that we don't like. But I think the Cowboys, the Bucs are six and nine in their last 15. Four of those games they pulled out of their ass. Every single time, it seemed like they were about to be dead. And then Zombie Brady emerged. And Dallas was 12-3 and three over a 15-game stretch. Two of those games they lost at OT. They're a really good football team. We're nitpicking them, nitpicking them, nitpicking them. They're a completely different class. They played much harder teams than Tampa Bay. Uh, they can, They can rush the passer. They can rush the ball. They can throw the ball. The only thing they can't do potentially is cover Mike Evans. There's a fun bet. If you like the Cowboys in this game, you could do Mike Evans to catch a touchdown, to go over and receive your yards, take Dallas to win the game. And it's like plus 660, something like that on FanDuel. If you like Dallas, do that bet. Don't even take the plus two and a half because Mike Evans is the only way that team's going to have a chance in this game. I hate going against Brady. It happens. You got to do it. So Cowboys minus two and a half. That's a big one. Then two more bets. 100,000. We're going to bet on this Ravens game. 100,000 bucks on a little parlay. The Ravens are getting 10 points. We're going to take them to 10 and a half and we're going to parlay with the under of 47 and a half. And that's plus 122. The reason we're doing this is the Ravens, go look it up. All of their losses, it's like one point, four points, four points, three points. They lost. One game by 10, and then they lost in week 18, a game they threw away by 11. They keep it close. They have an excellent defense. The Bengals are missing their whole right side of their line. It's the third time these teams are playing. A lot of animosity. I don't care about Tyler Huntley. This is going to be a 13 to 10, 16 to 13, 14 to 10, uh, 18 to 17, 18 to 16. I think the Ravens hang around. And if they hang around, the game has to go under because Tyler Huntley hasn't scored 20 plus in his last seven games. So we're betting 100K. Ravens plus 10 and a half, slightly adjusted with under 47 and a half, adjusted plus 122. And then the other one we're putting 100K on. We have a parlay. FanDuel, you can bet a team to win the first half and the game. So we're doing that. San Francisco, win the first half and the game, minus 185. Parlayed with Buffalo, wins the first half, wins the game, minus 250. I think Buffalo definitely destroys Miami. I think San Francisco takes a big lead against Seattle and then maybe Seattle does some garbage time stuff. I don't love the Seattle uh, plus nine and a half is scary because their garbage time uh, TD potential. So we're doing those two bets. That's plus 115 and the Ravens, that underdog parlay is plus 122. And then just to round it out, put 10K on Niners minus nine and a half, Bills minus 13 and a half and Bengals plus 10, just so we're on the record with straight up bets on every game those are the million dollar picks with a caveat because I still might change that Cowboys Bucks bet on Sunday night with Sal for week 19 of the NFL season. Gamble safely, my friends. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Aria Hawani. Thanks to Benjamin Solak. Thanks to Danny Heifetz and Raheem Palmer. Thanks to Kyle Creighton for producing as well. If you missed me on Off the Pike with Brian Barrett, go check it out. Talk Red Sox and Patriots with Kevin Hinch. And I will see you on this feed on Sunday after five games of football. Can't wait. Enjoy the weekend. See you on Sunday. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. What you use in your personal care routine matters, so upgrade your lineup with Dr. Squatch. They have high performing natural products with no harmful ingredients. That'll have you looking and smelling your best, like their Wood Barrel Bourbon Bar Soap and Lotion, or their Bay Rum Deodorant. They even have some limited edition soaps, like their Avengers and Star Wars collections. Those seem like they'd be fun to try. And right now, They have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or a subscription order by going to drsquatch.com slash Simmons or use the code Simmons at checkout.